Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 120, Bewitched, featuring Blood Rider Gene. I'm Scad, and with me as always is Matt. Welcome everyone. Yes, welcome everybody. As Scad said, joining us today is a man as mysterious as he is handsome. You know, oh. an overall quieter presence in our fandom, but with like a propensity scad for sneak attacks, meaning that when he does pop in with a gif or a one-liner or an insight, it's always memorable. It always yeah. elicits laughter. Um, he's become a personal friend, Gene. Hey, Gene, how are you, man? I'm making. How are you guys doing? Doing good. So I call him Gene of the Dynamite Drop-In. The Dynamite Drop-In. Because it's just, Gene. Yeah, like you said, Gene. it's surprising. It's usually quick. It's just like in and out. Yep. Yep. Yeah, working third shift, I, I'm able to do sneak attacks and, you know, by the time things happen, I'm already asleep, so it doesn't matter. I can't interact much. It's perfect. Yeah, what's your schedule like these days? What's a, what's a normal gene schedule? Uh, um, I normally go to sleep around like 9 a.m., wake up mm -hmm. at 7, have dinner, then go back to sleep for an hour or so, then work from 10, 10 at night to 6 with about three hours of snow blowing because I'm a a custodian at the college up here so my heavens and where's up here now? Um, you don't have to be like super specific uh, give away your uh, Sault Ste. Marie Michigan here, but um Sault Ste. Marie you find uh lots of snow people. you find I-75 and you just look, look all the way to the top like m where my uh building is I'm right across the river from Canada I can see all the pollution their steel mill is blowing our <laughs> way because they don't they, they can only operate when the wind's out of the north, so the wind, so the it, the pollution doesn't hit Canada, it go, rolls over us. Of course. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute. They're only allowed to operate when the wind is blowing in a certain direction. Yes, because of uh, the uh, impurities and stuff in the uh, smoke from the steel mill. Yeah. <laughs> so they send it down to us. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sault Ste. Marie is, uh, that's big, it's big, uh, junior hockey. Yeah. Um, Lake state has won, uh, three NCAA titles. Uh, they won a couple NAIA back, back in the day. Um, you know, they have, <sighs> yep. Um, there's the, some Gretzky history there. Yeah. The, uh, current head coach of the Red Wings is from Sault Ste. Marie. He actually was the grand marshal at the 4th of July parade this year. So. Let's forget it. They must have missed out on about 12 other guys. And <laughs> There's not that many famous Plan people N. from uh, this town. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Scad, what do we got going on right now? Well, before we get into anything we got going on, Meatloaf died today. <sighs> I'm sorry. And, and Louis Anderson. Well, it was technically last night. And Louis Anderson as well. The comedian, the comic. Yeah, that was just announced too. Well, yeah. I, you know, I always, I always teased about meatloaf and everything, but uh, I'm sorry, Sked, that sucks. I know his music was pretty impactful to you, and I know how impactful it, music can be. So I, yeah, don't take that lightly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really known as the the music guy on this podcast, but of course I love music. Everyone loves music. Of course, yeah. Um, and yeah, meatloaf was bad out of hell. To back into hell was probably like the second or third album I owned. It was like the Aladdin soundtrack. <laughs> Did Live you have throwing it on... copper and 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 bad out of hell back into hell, bad which is a hell. weird combo. It's a weird set of. That's great. Was it a cassette or a CD? 
No, that was a, a CD. I did own some tapes before that. Yeah, but not a lot. It was kind of Meatloaf was very early on my musical journey, and kind of, kind of just introduced me to theatricality in music. Right? I, it wasn't something I was. I didn't really know musicals at the time. Oh. You know, I I wasn't I wasn't prepared for piano and guitar together. Not in that way, at least. <laughs> and um, it kind of really introduced me to a lot of that sound and. Meatloaf's just such a bombastic guy, and of course, uh, James Diamond did most of his, well, a lot of the writing for his hits and stuff, and just the lyrics are just so, you know, for, for a teenager like me, pretty raunchy and just kind of out there and metal, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was very impactful for me, and uh, yeah, it's 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 one of the bigger, maybe, maybe the biggest, um, you know, death of a musician from, you know, from my my personal history that I've had. It's it was pretty jarring seeing it this morning, yeah. I can yeah. I can imagine. So would you say Meatloaf is kinda what got you on track for musical theater, period? I don't know if I'd say that. I don't I don't I don't think I drew I don't think I drew a line at the time to that at all. Mm. I mean mm-hmm. I hadn't started acting at all when I found that sure. music. I was pretty young, but um and I don't think I drew the line there you know, directly, but um, I think it, you know, I think it woke up that side of me maybe a little bit and and yeah. opened the door for for that part of me to grow. Maybe Does that makes sense. Totally. Sometimes we don't notice those lines until later in hindsight. Right. So, right. Well, yes. Um, R.I.P. Meatloaf. Well, and Louis Anderson as well. And Louis too. Very funny man. Life with Louis was, was a big part of my childhood. So. That was, was even he? though even though you couldn't watch cartoons, I I could watch cartoons as long as my mom wasn't around for it. So <laughs> gotcha. I would just go upstairs gotcha. for three hours because I was homeschooled. So the animation start block started at two. So uh-huh. I was, went up, went upstairs at two o'clock and I was up there till like five thirty. So beautiful. Is that what you associate? You because you're younger, Matt, at least than me. Uh, is that what you associate Louis Anderson with? Is the the cartoon that they had about him? That was my first exposure to him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I remember watching his stand up with my brother and sister, and probably we should. I don't know. He wasn't a super filthy comic, but no. Um, but I remember watching his stand up. I remember a specific bit about about gun ownership and 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 not wanting his bullets to be near the gun, and they suggest you know keeping them separate so that you know there aren't accidents with the gun and. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody breaking into the house and and him yelling out down the hallway, "Now nah, I've got a gun!" And the guy saying, "Yeah, I know. I found the bullets in the backyard." <laughs> it's a, a bit I remember from uh, from watching with my siblings. And see, I didn't have older siblings, so what? Uh, what? Uh, so was it the cartoon? So was it the cartoon then, Gene, for you too? Yeah, um, I think I had, I might have seen him in something. Um, before, but the cartoon that was the the big thing. Um, yeah, he was in lots of just movies. how like bit bit parts. Yeah, early. just like how dry he was. Uh, he was in Ferris Bueller. Yeah. He was the uh, he was uh, mm-hmm. flower delivery guy. Uh, that's mm-hmm. probably the first time I saw him. I didn't realize standing standing with the yeah. <laughs> I'm the nurse. I am here to restore your pluck. Yeah, right. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Steady. Because I'm the nurse that likes. <laughs> What? But I, I just loved how um, 
dry he was in the cartoon. Just you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I never liked the all the super wacky stuff. You know, and it wasn't wacky. No. It was yeah. I I totally can see that dry. being up your alley. No. Yeah, totally. it's like <laughs> it's like I kind of liked some Bob Saget stuff. Another uh, rest in peace. You know. Oh man, it, it it's only three weeks into this year, and I already want to you know get a return because. So many of these people are just it's awful. Coming out of nowhere, yeah. too. Like Bob Saget? What? Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah, well, I speaking... thought that Artie Lang would have outlived Norm and Bob Saget. <laughs> Artie Lang is still kicking, man. <laughs> uh, you know who else is still kicking, Scad? You and, and me. Uh, all three of us, thankfully. Um, but Brienne of Tarth. Brienne of Tarth is still kicking. She's she's kicking in the relaxing ring of the of champions. Champions this yeah. year as we near another song of madness. It is January twenty first as we record this episode, and uh, song of madness comes very quickly. End of February usually when it's starting. So mm-hmm. get ready. That's all we have to say about that right now. It's time for another person to take the, take their place atop this pile of woe yep. that we call yep. Song of Madness. If we have any newer listeners and you don't know what a Song of Madness is, uh, if you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter and follow us at Davos Fingers and get ready for, like Scad said, end of February-ish. You'll find out soon enough. You will find out soon enough. Uh, I guess we, we'll go into a Patreon update real quick as well. We just released our coverage of I Am Mercury Book 6. Mm, so fun. It's a lot of fun. There's only three books remaining in, in that uh, set of novellas. And, uh, man, it's a romp. It moves real fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, please join us as we cover it. It's written by fandom fandom beloved Grant Piercy. <laughs> um, it's it's really good and a lot, of, a lot of enjoyment we're getting out of covering those. It's... Um, you know, it's the only real series we've covered in any depth other than Song of Ice and Fire, and it's been it's been very fun to kind of treat with something different. Totally, and and to do it completely spoiler free, right? Like when mm-hmm. we did a Song of Ice and Fire, when we were reading the main series, we had Davos after dark, but a lot of the stuff that we were talking about in the main parts of the episode were kind of like wink, wink to each other. Like, yeah. I wonder what Sansa's gonna do next. Wink, wink. Yeah. This one we are completely in the dark on. We have not read past the book that we're covering, and that's been really fun. And that's really the only the only way to do it because we got called out a couple weeks ago by Ride the Maverick for our original content that was apparently not as spoiler free as we thought it was. Yep. <laughs> Which eh, it's possible. We did our best. The smoke alarm probably distracted you guys, so in that first episode, for sure. <laughs> no. It's never going to die. I was just trying to make sure our bar was set real low for people. Uh, Let's just weed out the people with no patience very early. For the five family members that we think would <laughs> listen to this podcast yeah, ever. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Uh, the other thing is, oh man, this is a, a statement that I'm making that it's not released yet. I better get it done. Patrons will also get, also got a surprise release this month from me. I'm doing a, a summary of the Wheel of Time uh, TV show. Uh, it's uh, going to be called Fingering the Wheel. Yep. yep. Fingering the Wheel. Get your fingers and, caught uh, in those spokes. That can hurt. 
they'll be <laughs> they can they'll be short they'll be short 10 15 minute kind of things hopefully um about right. where i'll just talk about them and uh yeah i'm really excited to do them and i'm excited to just kind of deliver them every every month or so and uh and cover that series which i which i enjoyed immensely once i gave it a second chance so <laughs> yeah you ate some major crow with that one I'm excited for those. Um, I'm uh, I'm I'm almost done with Vikings. I'm actually on the last season, and then I'm going to uh-huh. switch over to Wheel of Time as soon as I'm done with those. So cool. I'm going to listen to those as I I watch each episode. I'm going to check out your coverage of it. So all right, pressure's on. I'll look forward to the feedback. Mm-hmm. You'll get it. <laughs> Should we dive into the episode here? Please. All right. Well, in Sansa One of A Feast for Crows, we have. Sansa committing herself to being Lord Littlefinger's daughter in her heart of hearts. And so her next chapter is Elaine 1, which we're here to cover today. This chapter is pretty well isolated from the rest of what's going on in Westeros, focusing on the struggle within the Vale itself uh, with the recent passing of Lysa Aaron. You know, there's a bit of a, a bit of a power struggle here. So like we won't be much crossover on our discussion, though I imagine we will touch a lot on Sansa's character growth that goes into her past and things like that. And that'll, of course, involve other characters and stories. But I think I think spoilers will be relatively light uh, at this point for this chapter. I think so, too. As always, we love to hear from you. If you want to contact us to suggest topics, if you want to uh, put your hand in the air to be on one of these Meet the Kalisar episodes like Gene did, um, we would love to hear from you. And we'd love to chat with you. So you can always find us. Our email address is wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. Our Twitter handle, again, is at davosfingers. If you want to learn more about our Patreon program, go to patreon.com slash davosfingers. And uh, Genester, how can your adoring public fans and fellow blood riders get in touch with you? I am on the Twitters at uh, blanche344. Um, Blanche. Blanche. Um, I have a very. I I love my profile picture. I'm probably never going to change it again. It's a <laughs> stingray. It, it's it's a stingray that's beached itself on top of a woman, and I just <laughs> zoomed in on the on the mouth and the nostrils. It's just that's just me. Like hello, and it just has like the biggest smile on its face. <laughs> See, it makes people think like, oh, this is the this is the fun fun loving guy. And then, oh. again, sneak attack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I I admit I've seen that a million times, and I didn't know what it was until just now, and I still can barely tell. I'll have to send you the uh, the, the non crop picture. picture to him. Yeah, <laughs> the lady that the stingray has beached itself upon is her face is just frantic. Just like, you know, she's just like. Wah! I would then think so. The stingray just smiling. <laughs> As one would be if a stingray was beached upon you. Uh, R.I.P. Steve Irwin. It's too soon. Too soon to talk about it. Too soon. Still morning. Yep. <laughs> let's get let's get into this chapter. Elaine one of a feast for crows, everybody. Don't know when a prince will come, but surely he's a gonna come for Santa Star. Harry looking like a toolie and a daddy killed a wolfie Sansa Stark. A pre-winter chill grips Elaine's quarters, but she rises, dresses, puts another log on the fire, and slips out to look east to view the beauty of the eerie before her. She saw a falcon soar above and wished that she herself had wings. Then she looked down. 
past the towers, sky and snow and stone, and down to the valley floor where the armies of the Lord's Declarant had gathered. Lord Nestor Royce had closed the gates to them, an ally for now, it seems. Yeah, but Lords Belmore, Templeton, Redfort, Hunter, and Bronze Yon Royce, as well as Lady Anya Wainwood, had all gathered at the base of the Erie to protest Peter Baelish as the Lord Protector of the Vale. To defend the Vale against misrule and false friends. Elaine retreated from her cold balcony, got dressed in telly colors, and pinned her dyed brown hair back before seeking breakfast. But there would be no peaceful breakfast today, for the young Lord Robert Aaron was decrying his lack of eggs. Man, did that kid want some eggs. But there were no eggs. Nope. The Lord's declarant below had kept any new supplies from coming up to the Eyrie. The Eyrie. Elaine promised her Lord that he could have them soon, but asked that he please, please eat his porridge. Your meat. Mm-hmm. There's no meat. Can't have uh, nope. He won't, though, and switches topics to once again insisting that Marillion is singing songs at night. A common refrain from the boy. Elaine all but rolls her eyes, believing firmly that Marillion is dead, D-E-D, and trying to convince Robert of this fact. And just please eat your porridge. I don't want porridge, Robert says as he flings his spoon across the hall and hits a tapestry. But Peter has entered the hall now. Ian Maester Coleman assure Robert that he will need his strength, and to calm down, to receive these lords that siege his castle. Robert just wants to make them fly. And in case you forgot, listeners, this means throw them out the damn moon door. Elaine questions why the lords are there at all, and Peter reminds them that they're there for Robert. Well, for Robert and the Vale. And Peter indicates that it is not just the lords they need to be wary of, but that Lynn Corbray, feared warrior and killer of many men, including Kingsguard member and Prince Lewin of Dorne. Lynn is not a friend to Peter, nor his cause. He quarrels with his own brother, and he wanted Lysa's hand for himself. He's a dangerous guy. Prompted again to eat his porridge and lacking a spoon, Robert opts to throw his bowl of porridge, hitting Maester Coleman square in the chest, and prompting one of Robert's episodes. Gods be good. Peter has the boy removed, but stresses that he needs the boy calm and awake at times. He en- encourages Coleman to calm the boy with just a little pinch of sweet sleep in his milk, on occasion. The maester seems less certain. A pinch. One small pinch. Perhaps. Perhaps. Not too much and not too often. Yes, I might try. Coleman mutters as he hurries away. That is the end of this first section. Yeah. I uh, I put a little tweet out about Peter Baelish's reaction when he threw his porridge. Yeah. The most relatable part <laughs> of just... Littlefinger's character. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> it's just every parent has had that where their kid throws a tantrum and they're just like, oh my gosh. That's yeah. all you can do. Just sit there for a second. Just breathe. Please, please don't let me kill this child. Yeah, it reminds me of my Pippin quite a bit i mean really well he doesn't he doesn't unfortunately doesn't have any sort of problems with seizures but right oh yeah i mean when he's it's it's weird he's a funny you know laugh a minute positive kiddo most of the time but like when things Mm -hmm. go bad it's like everything's bad 
They go bad. You could try to give him like a candy bar and he'd be like, that's terrible. Candy's awful. Like, what are you, what? <laughs> like, he just, just say ev- you don't like, want one. <laughs> nothing, nothing works. Like, he's just in a bad mood and the world is now terrible. Mm. And it's just, you can't get him through it. It's very weird. And I don't, I don't remember how I've covered Robert in the past. Really, I didn't go back and listen to the, this episode this time, but I feel like probably I was pretty harsh against him. Right. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, obviously this tantrum sucks and I'm with you. I can feel that in my father bones, but, but like he's got no father. It's beyond a tantrum. Yeah. I think if we were to diagnose him, probably epileptic, right? Yes. Right. I mean, some, something medically, Mm -hmm. medically real. And they kind of, you know, I mean, I know it's easy to just like tire of these kinds of things, but like, this is a real problem. And they kind of just like roll their eyes at him. And I don't know. He's, he's just, he's got no kids around to be childlike with. He's getting judged from every corner. Doesn't seem to have any friends. And he's got, Lysa didn't do him any favors. Yeah. Yeah, Lysa did very few favors. He's got this debilitating condition, which no one can help very much with. And yeah, the only thing they do to help is, is bleed him, which that's, that's not helpful. I'm sorry. So, or drug him. So yeah, I, I feel sorry for the kid. Yeah, he's a brat, yeah, yeah. but you know, he's John Aaron was was running the country. He couldn't be a father figure. You know, mm-hmm. Lysa was desperately attached to him, which isn't a bad thing. But you know, he, I don't know. I I really really have a lot of sympathy for the kid. I, you know, and he's yeah, definitely not in a good situation right now. Yeah, I mean, the medical condition aside, right, like, which I'm sure no one could really do anything about, you get out what you put in. And nobody's putting a lot into this kid, like, to develop him and improve, you know, like, it feels like they're just kind of letting him run on idle, you know? Yeah, putting Band-Aids on him. Right. Keeping him good enough so that they can parade him in front of the other lords every once in a while when they come up to visit, you know, it's it's pretty sad. And it only gets worse as we read into future yeah. chapters. In, in yeah, I mean, Gene, you mentioned the dr- drugging him. Yeah, this is this last set of lines here is, is talking about giving him sweet sleep, and that's a that's a trap that I think a lot of people, including me, uh, you know, believe that's maybe a way they're going to end up offing him. Yeah, know, like drugging him to death. Yeah, I I tried. Um scene i because i know sweet sleep has been mentioned before in the series i couldn't find it though but it's something like one pinch gives you a good sleep two pinches you sleep for a couple days three sleep three three pinches you don't wake up and you know he he probably only weighs 60 pounds so it doesn't doesn't take much his blood's super thin anyway he's always being leached yeah uh that's in an an aria chapter is the waif explains to Arya what it is. And that's exactly what it is. You had it right, Gene. A pinch will grant a night of deep and dreamless sleep, but three pinches will produce that sleep that does not end. It also, in the, in the Elaine, I think it's the Elaine 2 chapter, it it's also seems even a little more complicated than that. And yeah, in Westeros, the medical terms are not always certain, but like it, it sounds like the way Mr. Coleman explains it in the second Elaine chapter in A Feast for Crows is that it kind mm-hmm. of, has time before it wears off like it like like it, it sits in deep you. in your bones yeah, and like yeah it's kind of like arsenic and stuff this like yeah right yeah good comparison and and so 
he's very yeah he's very okay if three pitches can put you to bed forever how, how often can i give one <laughs> you know like what's what's the half-life of, of sweet sleep yeah here? in fact maester coleman in that chapter recommends that he not have any more for a year yeah, yeah. at least yeah so at first i was wondering if if coleman was uh drugging um, Robert Aaron's milk and everything at Peter's orders. But that exchange makes me believe that Coleman really has nothing to do with it. Uh, I think. No. And that Peter's doing this on the side. Yeah. I think Coleman is pretty upstanding as it comes as in terms of being a maester. Cause in, um, when Picel reveals the plot, you know, yeah, you know, Coleman was doing the right thing to, to save John Aaron and, the, you know, mm-hmm. Pycelle's like, ah, get out of the way, kid, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll handle him this. So, yep. he, he, he knows like his Aaron stuff. could have recovered. Yeah. And also probably, just to compound that in a different direction, like, Maester Coleman probably believes Pycelle. Yeah. Pycelle's an old, wise into Maester. He's taught to respect the older Maesters, right? So, yep. he probably believes him and now feels responsible for doing the wrong thing and, and submitting uh, his... His confidence took a hit. Yeah. Well, well, his confidence is probably shot, but also he probably feel he probably feels like he had a hand in killing John Aaron because he yeah. couldn't couldn't fix him fast enough and he did the wrong thing. Right. So it's yep. probably like that guilt carrying around with him. Yeah. So not that. So he's not thinking like, oh, if they would have just let me keep working on John, I could have fixed him. This could this would have been okay. Freaking Picel. It's more like, oh, I screwed this up. I should have let Picel in sooner. Well, I don't know that it's explicitly said. That's the way I it's feel not. like. He, yeah. That's the way I feel like this I can see that. would go. Yeah. Coleman he, is super meek. And, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Hmm. Yep. So, what do you think? So, you guys think uh, Baelish is slowly poisoning little Robbie Aaron? Yeah, I think I yeah. think he probably is having Coleman do it, but kind of like ordering him to do it. Um, mm. But. Yeah, I, I think I think that's probably where it's going. Yeah, yeah. Robert Aaron talks about how his milk tasted vile, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And they're really oh. puzzled by that because the, yeah, I see. because the sweet sleep should make it sweet, and so I think that's why Maester Coleman is uh, confused mm-hmm. when he's like vile. I, oh, uh, is he bleeding from his nose? You know. <laughs> And they said no. So I wonder, I wonder if there's been so much sweet sleep being put into his milk that when he finally has a glass of regular milk, it tastes gross oh, to him. That could be it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because Coleman it's... said he absolutely refused to give him any sweet sleep or anything that night because he'd had so much. And so he was just drinking, as far as we know, as far as Coleman maybe knows, regular milk. Like yeah. when Jim takes the nickels out of the phone and he like drills himself in the face because <laughs> he's using the phone being heavy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite little bits. <laughs> that makes sense. I like that take, Matt. Mm. Yeah. Also, just while we're while we're on this, the um, you know, back to just the treatment of Robert by everyone, including Peter. Uh, I require him awake from time to time just speaks volumes of the priority that, yep. that Peter, like he needs yep. him for a crutch for a puppet and he doesn't care about his well-being at all. He just needs him awake at times. 
He's not worried about the well-being of the child at all. Not at all. Just, yep. I need him awake sometimes. Make that happen for me. Well, even Sansa, who's probably the person who cares the most about him, mm-hmm. you know, in Sansa 1, she's just so tired of him. You know, she yeah. she has Lothar Brune lock him in his room just so she can get a night's sleep, you know. It's, yeah. And, you know, I'm sure all of us, when we were little kids, we wandered sometimes. What would our parents do if we did that every night? You know? So, yeah, and, and like wetting the bed. Stuff like that. <laughs> My kids are wanderers. Are they? Man. Oh. I mean... It's like almost one every night. It's nuts. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up, Gene, about the earlier Sansa chapter, because I, I think this kind of flows into, this is a nice maybe little segue. Uh, it's really interesting to track Sansa's development through this book. And there's really only three chapters with Sansa in them, right? Sansa one, Elaine one, and Elaine two. Elaine, not Elaine, Elaine. Not Seinfeld, guys. Yeah, can you imagine Sansa doing the dance? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Sansa one, uh, she's sick of Robert, but she's also very like, mm, she's like kind of still accommodating in a way. She wants him to like be comforted and stuff. The chapter ends with her letting him sleep in her bed because and she and he asks her are you my mom now and she says yes because she knew it would make him feel better and stuff like that and then by this one she's kind of a little more annoyed Um, she's listening to more of what Peter's saying about him and then by Elaine too she's like Coleman put more sweet sleep in his milk like just do it that same thing that you were talking about scad of not caring about his health yeah Peter Baelish not caring Unfortunately, and I'm sorry all the Sansa lovers out there, but we're seeing the same thing from Sansa too. Yeah. Uh, she completely disregarded his health and is going full little finger in her treatment of Robert Aaron in Elaine too. And it's interesting to track that progress. So. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole discussion about Sansa's arc in there that I don't know if we want to go into right now. But you're right. We can I wait till later I, if you want. Yeah. yeah, well, there's some more things later that might lead back to it. But you're right; okay. it, it's totally there. It's, mm-hmm. it's 100% there that she is becoming more more integrated into this plot and you know the more you're involved with something the more the more you kind of start to believe in it mm-hmm. you know and and then that has knock on effects but yeah there's yeah um, totally. I mean I guess I guess part of that is one of the points from the beginning of the chapter where mm-hmm. Uh, she's looking off the off the balcony. <laughs> Say and... it. What? Say it. Let's see if it's the same note as mine. Well, it's she noticed she well, two two things, I guess. She's standing on the balcony and she sees the falcon up there and she mm-hmm. says, you know, would that I had had wings too, or I can't remember the exact line, but basically wishing she could fly as well. There's also the reference to Alyssa's tears. Um, they're frozen over. They normally ever hit the ground anyway. But in this case, Sansa has had to freeze her tears as well, not cry them, you know, in, in order to maintain this illusion. But if you look closely here and a little bit later in the chapter, she is desperately wanting to get out of this situation. And she's having to kind of split her brain in half. Mm-hmm. One half that just deals with this abuse that she has every day where she's trying to 
be this other person and this other person that tries to maintain her grip on who she is and knows that this is perilous for her, for her identity, for her very life and needs to get out. Is it the same note? Great call. No, not at all. I love it. And I think, yeah, it'll come back up later in the chapter too, that feeling, but. Yeah, point that out when it comes out, because I don't remember catching those, and I think I missed them, of moments where she's still trying to, like, hold on to her. Yeah, I'll point the other one out when it gets here. But we, we talk a lot mm-hmm. about that with Arya and how yeah. she has these these touchstones that she calls out, you know, with John and tussling her hair and, and Needle being a very physical representation of, you know, her grip on her, quote-unquote, starkness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people talk in the fandom about Sansa having having those two i think they're maybe a little less obvious um but but it's very clear that she needs something to to keep a hold on who she really is i mean she's being coerced by someone who's in charge of her fate to play a role to be someone completely different and encouraged to be that way all the time and that's i mean that's is gaslighting the correct term now i don't even know but it's abuse for sure Absolutely. It's abuse. And we're seeing her slowly starting to buy into it, right? Yeah. Sansa one, she still is like having trouble calling Peter father. She's like, Do I even have to call do I have to call you father in private? Like when we're alone, can't I just call you Peter again? And he's like, No, you can't. Da, da, da. And more of that manipulation and everything. In this one, we still see like glimpses of the starkness in her. Three sentences into a chapter where she has a new name heading. It says Elaine instead of Sansa. Three sentences into the chapter, she thinks, um, it will be worse when winter has us in its grip. Winter will make this place as cold as any tomb. Mm -hmm. In other words, winter is coming. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) There's still that reminder of the starkness. And then there's Tolly stuff too. It was, and she's dyeing her hair. It was seldom long before the red began creeping back at the roots right yeah. totally a metaphor that's a reminder she can never get rid of it. that's a, that's a that's a good point that's a very physical reminder she can never get rid of unless you know they shave her head right so this one has these little tinges of it still almost like she's not even recognizing that she's holding on to some of who she actually is but then i feel like once elaine two comes around she's almost like fully bought into Peter at that point. She's like, he can't do any wrong when it comes to manipulating and doing the work yeah. that Peter does. And we don't really talk about the wins chapters, but it goes even further. That goes even further. Yeah. Batman. That she's almost like, she's, she's almost like player B to his player A right now. She's like a player's apprentice and yeah. she becomes almost player B in the wind sample chapter. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, what else we got here, guys? Do we want to talk about Marillion at all? I can talk Marillion. What do you guys think? Is he dead? I'm pretty sure he's dead. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think if he was somehow still alive, unless unless they put his pulled his tongue out, he w- would have been making noise down there. So, I mean. And yeah, and we have Robert claiming that he is, but like if if he is, then why isn't everyone else hearing it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I've read a couple things about it. I mean, it, there was a pretty prolific theory a few years ago on Reddit. Uh, actually, yeah, it's still have it pulled up here. It was from 
uh, Holloway division. It actually won best of 2019 best new theory. Um, <laughs> that it, I don't, I don't love all of it, but I, I like parts of it that indicate that maybe he's been working for Littlefinger the whole time, even as early yeah. as the end of the crossroads, right? And you know that they met at, at the tourney where Peter lost the dagger. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't love all that early stuff, but I could certainly see there being a bargain struck for him to, you know, be put in the cells, be left unharmed, confess to the murder, and then be set free somehow. And is and that sorry, I cut you off. No, I mean that's that's basically it. He could still be in his employer. It could have just been a one time deal. Um, you know, but Peter's the kind of guy that would put this guy on retainer for the rest of his life. Right? I mean he, he has people like that all over the place. Yeah. And yeah, but so, so I could I I think something like that, um I just go back to the the last Sansa chapter in Storm of Swords where Dantos Holler is rowing Sansa to the to the waiting ship yeah. and Littlefinger has him killed, you know. Gold will buy silence for our time, a couple of crossbow bolts buys it for a lifetime. Littlefinger doesn't care about Merillion, you know. And unless he thinks he can use him. Yeah. yeah. But you're right, he presents a huge amount of risk. But all this just ignores the fact that Merillion is prob- probably Quaith. So um, <laughs> you know. So you agree he's alive. Kalisar, he just said that with a completely straight face. <laughs> half half of the cast of characters is Quaith. The other half is Jake and Hagar. So, yeah. you know, as long as you understand that, I, that's it. It's just two people just constantly interacting with each other. <laughs> Benjen's in there, too. Yeah. Benjen plays both of them simultaneously. Yeah, Benjen's just Benjen. Um, a reason for maybe keeping Marillion around is to, and this is so cruel, this is cruel to the max, this is almost worse than poisoning, or at least on a level with it, is to continue to drive little Robert Aaron crazy. Right. Right? To continue to mess with the little boy's fragile emotional state and and continue that singing. Now, it is... It is very telling that no one else hears it except Little Robert. Um, so that could be just something psychologically that's going on with him, and Robert is dead. But uh, anytime George says he's definitely dead, usually yeah. means they're not really dead. <laughs> Certainly a pattern. I can see. I can see it going either way. Yeah. But I, you know, the theory is kind of fun. Um, it is. They make it a point in the Sansa chapter prior to this one that uh, he was supposed to have had some of his fingers cut off and his eyes taken out. Yeah. But no one. A- they make it a point to say that no one actually has seen the wounds. He's wearing yeah. a covering over his eyes and he's wearing white silk gloves on his hands. Um, mm-hmm. So so that could be part of the deal. If if, you know, that theory is true that Marillion's still alive. But uh yeah. I mean, as far as Littlefinger doesn't seem like they got the type to let someone like that live who's seen what he has seen. We know he's kept like the kettle blacks around. Um, and then yes. he's got like Lothor Brune. He's got like a really close cast of characters that he lets in on everything. But, yeah, it's a, it's a little uh, back to, you know, what Gene's saying about, you know, the risk and really, really poses. Peter's kind of he's not super risk averse. Like the, the kettle blacks, he takes him at any yeah. point mm. to Cersei and just be like, Hey, 
he's been paying us to spy on you this whole time. He's, you know, you can't trust him. You gotta, you know, like at any point they could do that. And he even says that um, the kettle black that was appointed to the king's guard has been has become less reliable than he used to be. So, which I don't know is one of the old. Yeah. So. They they all look yeah. the same, you know. Oh, yeah, that's a random kettle black bee. Osmond, Osmond, if I'm not mistaken. Matt's pretty good at keeping. Call, call, call him Donnie for short. <laughs> um, but hey, yeah, he's a tall minion with one eye. So. <laughs> Ever since he started messing around with Cersei, that'll yeah. that'll get you but less reliable in a heartbeat. That's kind of the point, though. Like I get the sense that Peter has people in King's Landing, like. Yeah. If he feels he's less reliable, shouldn't he often? Seems like he should. Yep. Maybe he's Have a little difficult to, to reach, but. Yep. He seems to understand that you know that a, that to get to where he's wanting to go, which we still don't exactly understand where he's wanting to go, where he wants to end up in the end. You do have to take big risks, and you're yep. right, Scad. He doesn't seem averse to taking those risks, so he walks a pretty fine line. Chaos, for sure. The veil sounds beautiful. I could live at the veil. I, I think I would much rather live in the veil than anywhere else in Westeros. Because yeah. you get winter, but you also have mountains and, you know. It, it's, it, sounds, it sounds like old, like, I don't know, sounds Christian Anderson, like, like yeah. tales of old Europe, right? Like. Totally. Like Germanic valleys or something, Queen, like Bavaria, yeah. yeah. in yeah. the valleys, yeah, totally. Yeah, Bavaria, yeah, 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 exactly. It, it just sounds gorgeous. It does sound great. And I mean, until Peter comes in there and Liza Aaron and stuff, it seems like it's pretty chill as far as drama goes. I don't know, yeah. at least now. Yeah, um, except for you know some lords just you know keep on living while their sons are getting older too. So you know. I think there's yeah. normal drama, but on the whole, it's just, yeah, you know. Yeah. I also the I think the veil is responsible for Eddard's Ned's character because in the, looking at all the you know fire and blood, Ned does not seem like a typical Stark at all, mm-hmm. and I think that's because he grew up in the veil. So you know they're a very honor. You know, as we'll see later in the chapter, you know, um, violations of honor mean a lot in the veil, and it completely changes people's attitudes if if they feel honor has been slighted. And, it seems that way, and I don't, I just don't see that, see other Starks being that way before Ned. Yeah, Ned yeah. still he still has some of that Stark coldness, but there's kind of that other slightly warmer side to him too that yeah. yeah i can definitely see that being influenced by his time there good good call out yeah he's, he's just kind of more like level-headed and you know i i would matt and i disagree a little bit on this i would never call ned like a brainiac or anything but like he's definitely more he's definitely more considered and careful versus you know most of the starks that we read about in fire and blood and stuff are they're just much more reactive and, yeah no, i agree with hot, you on that headed yeah. yeah, you can't you can't yeah. see Ned uh, storming off to King's Landing and demanding Rhaegar to come out and die. You know, Ned might be like, totally. "Hey, you know, <laughs> where's my sister?" 
<laughs> What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Could we talk about this? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. should we? You guys got anything else for this section? Should we move on to get to know Gene a little better? <clears throat> yeah, because we're gonna get. I was silly. I put the Lord's Declarant stuff in this chapter section, but really, that's not till next one. So. Yep. Yeah, they uh, arrive in the next one, and the big scene happens in the last section. Right. Yep. So I'm good. All right. Well, Gene, who are you? What do you do? What what dri- what drives the inner Gene? Um. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, the stubbornness to to keep on living, I guess. Um, I <laughs> relatable. <laughs> I, I one of my favorite lines in any movie is. Uh, in Master and Commander, when uh, Jack Aubrey tells uh, Paul Bettany's character, you know, oh, you can go go discover the Galapagos, it, you know, and name name a shrub after me and make sure it's, you know, tough and hard to eradicate. I, I feel like that's me. I, you know, I just, things happen like, eh, okay, I guess I'll do something else. And, um, yeah. But, no, I, uh, Born and raised in Michigan, uh, so you know I'm basically perfect. Um, of course. Then I lived in this in Tennessee for about ten, fifteen years, and then I've basically been moving back and forth between Michigan and Florida for about six years. So, um, with a, you know, just just trying to live, you know, so. Um, Stubborn man. Yeah, very, very stubborn. They don't let my wife hear that. Has a, has a quote in his comedy that he, it just says, "Life sucks. Get a helmet." And uh, <laughs> I try to relate to that some. It's just like you know the blows are gonna keep coming, and you just gotta keep keep walking through them. You know. Where does that stubbornness come from? Do you think? Can you trace it back to a parent or? Oh, both sides. I get it from both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. My dad was Double bullheaded. Dose. My mom's stubborn. So you don't <laughs> you don't say marry for twenty five years if if you hate each other if you're not stubborn. So um, we're sticking this thing out. Yeah. No matter what. Um, but no, it. You know. Yeah. What drives me? I just want to. I don't know, make people feel better about themselves. You know, unless unless you just goal. completely burn through all your strikes with me and then I don't care, you know, you can, but how many more do I have to? Oh, oh you guys are still on, you still haven't had a strike yet. Well, Matt has right. a strike cause he's an, a- I have a fan, strike, but yeah, I was going to say know, there's one understood strike. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not going away. <laughs> I just, I accept that until I the team moves that. back to Quebec. <laughs> Never forget the Nordiques. <laughs> Or Nordicues, whatever they're pronounced. Whatever they're... The Nordicues, yep. Nordicues. <laughs> Nor- <Yeah>. Norquays. <laughs> well, uh, I know, Gene, you've definitely helped us feel good about ourselves, so mission accomplished there. Success, but, yeah. Yeah. What other fandoms are you into? I know one. Yeah. A big um, one for you. Well, my first fandom, it's not even a fandom, because I, I don't know of any like podcasts or anything, but... Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. I read those when I was eight, Ooh. and uh, really liked them. Sounds like an opportunity out there, people. Yeah, mm. Cron-, Cron of Narn podcast. Uh, 
Narncron cast. Narncron. Yeah. Narnacast. Uh, yeah. Yep. Anyways, Anyways, you read Paul's, it when you were eight. Sorry. Uh, no, no worries. <laughs> um, then uh, I was a freshman in high school, and my lit class, they decided to – it was uh, four months before Fellowship of the Ring came out in theaters, and mm-hmm. I read Fellowship of the Ring in three days. Uh, then I read, I finished the series in two weeks, then, uh, reread them Prolific. in another week. Uh, Prolific. Holy crap. then I-, I wish I could read like I did when I was a kid. Uh, I-, I have a huge stack of books I need to read. I'm getting better. I've, I had a gap of like a year where I couldn't read anything. Um, then I found a copy of, copy of the Silmarillion in the, paperback section of the Kroger and uh, <laughs> the Kroger yeah it, most most random thing I've ever seen yeah. and Similarly I felt like oh Kroger. my god like this, this is real is now and uh, you know read that I wrote you know fan fiction it's just, which is all gone thank no. god because that's that's before the internet was really a thing you know um yeah i have <sighs> our loss scad oh no, no i know no. i would have never paid you for a writer of fan fiction <sighs> it awesome. wasn't really it, it was more of like battles and stuff i've, I've always oh like further adventures. yeah i've always been in like that kind of mindset of i like um military campaigns and stuff like that cool. so that's awesome. yeah definitely lord of the rings um that that's def cool. that's definitely one Game of Thrones. It's it's a number two. It's you know, and there's not a lot of discussion about mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings anymore. You know, that everything's out. Yeah. Uh, maybe when the series comes out in August, I, I think say, maybe I that'll be something for it. But then again, I might it's just be... be talking about it because I'm angered angered because they cut out. You know, oh well, Kella Brimbor would never have done that. You know, yeah. like he wasn't. He wasn't, you know, uh, Maglor's son. He was a Celeborn son. Come on. Or, you know, <laughs> or Kel- Oh no. Are Are you okay with that? I like, like I. One thing I can pat myself on the back on is I'm very good at compartmentalizing things, and I can do it with series too. I could watch Game of Thrones and be totally okay with it. I could read the new Star Wars books, put them up against the expanded universe, and be totally okay with it because I can put them in two different worlds. Are you do you think you'll be able to do that when these when this new show comes out? Uh, and it honestly depends on how the rest of the series is. I can over enough. I can overlook yeah. things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um like I I wasn't too happy that Arwen showed up to rescue Frodo at the Fords, but it, d- yeah. it doesn't take away from the movie, you know. Sure. Um, and it doesn't take away from the books. No, you know? Like the books are still there. Yeah. That's my thing is like the books haven't changed just because they put it in the yeah. movie. Like, I think the only problem I might have with the movies, and this is this, you know, pedantic, it it makes everything seem like it happened in like a span of like three months or three weeks or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like when Bilbo disappeared from the party, 20 years happens, you know, like. It, <laughs> and it's... Yeah. Just put a little bit of like twenty years later or something. 
don't. <laughs> uh, the biggest problem, though, uh, example of this is the Aragon movie, which makes it seem like the. I don't know if you've ever read the the Inheritance Cycle. That's another thing I read back in the day. The Aragon books. Yeah. He, I never read he, them. He but, finds oh, the okay. egg. It hatches. And then, like, the dragon's growing the entire series. In the movie, she flies through a <laughs> cloud, and then she's a full-formed dragon. Uh, and then it's like... like five, super montage. And then these, like, five days happen, and, you know, they they win the, the final battle. It's... Oh, that movie sucked. Yeah. That's, that's Spoiler sucked. alert. For those I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's set down 15 years ago. That's that's just like that's less that's less uh, frustration with differences and more just like frustration with how bad storytelling. Yeah, with yeah. the storytelling. Movies, like, yeah, that's just lazy storytelling. Like you have Jeremy Irons and John Malkovich, and you wasted them. You know, John Malkovich should never be wasted. He's no. a treasure. Um, too. <laughs> you are uh, Gene. You are internet infamous for ganging up on me. With some of our other friends, I, I think I'm internet praised for that. But. The Avs Red Wings <laughs> rivalry. Tell us about your love of sports. Um, started with my dad. Uh, he was big into um, Tigers and Lions. Uh, the <laughs> The Red Wings were bad for most of his life. So right, the Dead Wings. He. Uh, we remember first time I ever saw the Red Wings logo. I thought it was a uh um the Washington football team is what they're currently called. I thought it was some oh, yeah. like what like why had the uh you know redacted changed their name to the Red Wings dad. And uh <laughs> he's like, no, that's the hockey team in that's the hockey team in Michigan. And then for a while I thought they played in Kalamazoo because Kalamazoo had a a minor league team called the K-Wings with the same logo because they were a farm team for years. I was like, yeah, why don't we go to Kalamazoo to watch the Red Wings? He's like, the Red Wings don't play in Kalamazoo. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, and I, I, I do, rem- I mean, I do remember when Claude Lemieux tried to kill Chris Draper. You know, I definitely remember that. I think. That, 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 pinnacle that, that, that's like a, that's history. like a, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald for Michiganders. It's just like, oh my God, do you remember where you were when you, Saw that, I was like, yes. But, Ridiculous time. Led to some really fun times, but man, that was a terrible moment in hockey. Uh, but I'm gonna pause. <laughs> <laughs> but uh This is every year, Scad. It it just comes up and one person brings it up. It's either John, who's been on these episodes, Kalisar, or Katrina, who's also been on, or Gene. And it's usually one of you three that are the instigator. Yeah. They'll just they'll just post a picture because after um, that incident where a player on the Avalanche named Claude Lemieux just wrecked a guy on the Red Wings named Chris Draper and it kicked off this huge rivalry. It was a total cheap shot. I can totally say it as an Avs fan. It's one of the worst things you've seen. Just wrecked this guy's face. It like Gene didn't it like cave in his cheek. Like oh he had like thirty stitches. Uh, lost a couple teeth. Now in the Avs but, defense, well kind of. This happened when he, Lemieux played for the Devils. But still, Colorado had the balls to sign this piece of crap. So, you know, they don't get away scot-free. Um, but No, he played for the Avs when it happened. I, I thought that was in the 95 finals. No, um, no. I mean, I was nine, so, you know. 
No. Um, but I, Draper had to get like full facial restructure surgery yeah, was... from it. Like it was really bad. And uh, it kicked off a rivalry that just lasted years. And it was like goalie fights. It was amazing when the abs would play the Red Wings for a few Shanahan years. Shanahan just spearing Patrick Roy out of the air. Uh, hey, you don't you don't mis mispronounce his name, sir. Roy. I'll say it again. Um, We're not Canadian here. I mean, listen, he allowed six goals in like three minutes, so I can I can call him whatever I want. Oh, Patrick Waugh. He definitely had his. <laughs> so not, I'm not a hockey fan. That's evidence. Everyone listening, uh, since I haven't said anything, but I actually do remember uh, the Avalanche Red Wings rivalry. Yeah, did that make it onto radars? 98-99, maybe? Uh, It was still going. Yeah, 97-99, I would say I stopped caring about the Avalanche in, like, 2000. Yeah. I remember remember kind of of being into the Avs a little bit around that time and remember that rivalry. So it was kind of – it was evident even to non-fans. Yeah, so it did make it onto radars. Anyways, we'll stop talking about sports. (laughs) That could be a (laughs) 10-hour podcast. It really could. There, do you know there are people that just podcast about sports? They don't talk about a song of ice and fire at all. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Weirdos. <laughs> They're out there. Weird. You ranged. Uh, so Gene, you've talked about him a little bit already, but you lost your father at a pretty young age and we're interested in knowing how that's kind of informed the man you've become and mm-hmm. the man you're still becoming. Probably you're still a youngster, you know, anything that you would say to others that have lost parent or close loved one? Um, yeah. Um, my dad died, uh, a week before Thanksgiving in 90, 1996. I was 10. Um, mm. so I, my dad worked, uh, uh, for the prison system in Michigan. So he normally worked like 60 hours a week. And when he came home, he didn't really want to talk much. Um, apparently he, raved about me to all his co-workers um which i you know i thought he just you know tolerated my existence so that was something um mm-hmm. but you know you just I, i've had some friends who have lost their uh dads and they're like oh you know how do you how do you deal with it it's like i i was 10 i just had to you know um i didn't have a perfect relationship with him um but i definitely i see um like right now the way i'm sitting i'm sitting like he did with one leg crossed and with the other leg stretched out in front of me there's a picture i posted on twitter a while back of him he was wrapping christmas presents and my dad refused to wear a shirt when he was at home he um (laughs) and he had so he he's shirtless he has long he had like a sandy, sandy brown hair. And my uh, wife saw that picture and she was like, babe, I never knew you had long hair. You should, you should wear long hair again. I was like, that's not me. That's my dad. I was like, I'm glad you have the hots for my dad though. You know, that's what I'm going to turn into. So <laughs> she's like, I don't have the hots for your dad. Well, you just said it. So, um, and now you have to live with it. Yeah. But you know, it's also, um, I think I've talked about this with um, Tony and uh, poor poor Quentin. We're our generation of men. 
most of us were raised with by men who didn't have the proper tools to raise you know mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. their own kids um like my grandfather was uh well most blanchards are were are raving drunks we've been kicked out of every country we've lived in um <laughs> but he you know just stories I remember my dad telling when he was a kid and stuff that would happen. Just like so callous. Like, you know, my dad was just an extra pair of hands on the farm. Right. Um, my uncle uh, told him to poke uh, this hole in the ground that was full of a hive of ground bees. And my dad got stung like, you know, 70 times as a four-year-old. And his mm. parents were just like, quit your whining you know like why did you poke that you know you shouldn't have believed your brother <laughs> so you, you look at the way he grew up you know he made mistakes and some of those traits and mannerisms I still have I mm -hmm. I can you know brave about people in my life to other people but at the same time the people in my life they don't always know how I feel about them. And, you know, that's something mm. that, you know, obviously I have to work on. And, but it, it's really weird when I'm just brushing my teeth, I look in the mirror and he's staring right at me. You know, um, I'm, I'm swarthier than he was, but, and I'm not nearly as hairy, but, you know, it, um, <laughs> Yeah, he was half bear. It's like I'm looking at my arms right now, and like my dad had this like you could braid his arm hair. That's how hairy he was. <laughs> Ew. So, I can... well, it sounds like you got the good parts, man. I hope. I hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm a interesting blend of both my uh, uh, families. So yeah. I have I have my uh, mom's side's chin. We have horrible chins. It's like a, it I can't even tell. Sticks out so. and hooks. It's, it's awful. Like I, I, I don't do pro it's hidden behind this beard. Yeah, I, I need a beard just to cover that up because people looking looking at me at the side, like my uh, my uncle doesn't have any teeth anymore, and his his face looks like a moon, like a like a crescent moon. Because how, how far the, his chin goes out, and how so? Yeah, does he put like his food on top of it when he just to yeah, rest there? He, he could, yeah. It certainly sounds like you've you've taken you've taken a real look back at what you remember of, of your dad from you know when he passed and how he kind of lives on in you a little bit, and it sounds also like you. You've cut. You've kind of learned to understand why he was the way he mm -hmm. was. That's yeah, and it's really valuable for growth. I, I think I think that's super valuable. You gotta remember good times. You know, it's easy to remember the bad times. Um, but the day he died, I uh, had baked an apple pie, and he, uh, I think he had like two or three slices of it. And mm. he's like, this is better than your mom makes. You need to just make apple pie. You need to make the apple pies from now on. Oh, man. And because uh, he had he had just. That's a hell of a compliment to get. Yeah, he had, he had just retired. A, that is so cool. So we're 
you know, starting to know who each other, who we, who each other was. And, uh, we watched Toy Story together and, uh, talking about, um, I think the lions were, you know, on the verge of, you know, he's like, oh, Wayne Fonts is gonna save his job again. They're gonna win a bunch of pointless games. And, uh, yeah, then that night he just started feeling sick and, uh, you know, that was it. He, uh, was it. at the kitchen table and like that. And, uh, uh he was gone before he hit the floor. So heart attack. Um, uh, he, he had uh, a lot of stuff going on. He was about 350 pounds. He smoked a pack and a half of cigarettes a day for 30 years. And, okay. uh, he and his, his sister had died a couple years earlier of congestive heart failure. They were both born with it. So mm-hmm. they think, uh, the doctor, th- he's like, I th- he's like, I think a blood clot went into his lung and just, you know, for a while I had a, a lot of problems with, cause I was told to go get the, get the blood pressure cup upstairs. And I just fooled around for a couple minutes up there. And, uh, you know, you're 10, you don't, you know, Oh, maybe if I would have gone gone down there sooner, but you know it was gonna happen, and right. a couple minutes doesn't really, you know. But you yeah, know. the stories you tell yourself, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, well, you, you always want to be the main character your in your life. You know, you don't want to yeah. say, "Oh, I was just you know uh, along for the ride in this part." But yeah, so. Well, I appreciate your perspective, man. Thanks. Definitely. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Well, what's something in your life that you're proud of, man? Um, hmm. My, uh, probably my friends. Um, I, I, I always have, uh, had, you know, problems with my own self-esteem and so I see my friends doing well I was like yeah you know that's great and all my most of my friends you know they know if someone someone's going on they can you know talk to me and I'm I'm a good uh I guess people can dump on me because <laughs> you know I uh I don't over talk sometimes like when I'm comfortable like right now I, I can talk but most of the time, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I'm a good shoulder to cry on. You can, you know, just keep on talking, and I don't have to say anything. It's a nice, nice, powerful shoulder there. Yeah, and uh, sometimes, there's, you know. There's a lot to You know, you want to do the man thing of, you know, oh, I have to fix this for you. But, you right. Know, yeah, I'm camp. Sounds like, sounds like your friends will listen to you, though, too. When they need oh, yeah. To I mean, the entire reason content. I live in this town now is because my best friend took a job up here and he saw how miserable I was when I was on vacation up here. He's like, Hey, you know, if you ever want to move up here, just let me know. And, uh, on the drive down, I got some texts that really pissed me off. And so I called him. I was in a, um, at a gas station in Kentucky and I told him, I was like, Hey, I'll be up there in three days. Um, quit my job, sold most of my stuff down there. Uh, 
in, in Tennessee and moved up here. And then uh, somehow my my wife, uh, you know, was interested in me. I still don't understand it because uh, <laughs> she said she had – she, she said she had talked to me like a lot of – like three or four times. And I was like, I have no memory of ever seeing you before. Uh, Whoops. <laughs> Because I, I worked. Say I, that, Gene. Sometimes the honesty just comes out. I I, I worked. I, I was an overnight stalker. And, you don't say that. And and she was a cashier, and so she would say, say well, "Hey, how's it going?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." She accident mm. she accidentally added me on Facebook, and uh, uh, so I, I accepted. I was like, "Hey, do I know who you are, or who huh. is you?" And, and she's like, "Oh yeah, we've talked before." I was like. Oh, okay. So we for the for the movie version of your life, was there a moment where your cursor huddled over the decline versus accept, like how different your life might be? Um. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's one of those moments. I I, I was just really great. tired. I was trying to fall asleep, and I figured maybe if I'm just talking to some random person, I'll fall asleep, and. <laughs> Uh, then we went on a date last Don't night. Don't tell her that part. <laughs> we, uh, I took her out for, I, I made her spaghetti that night. Her mom thought I was a serial killer. Uh, cause, <laughs> because of your so, chin. That's a weird thing to just <laughs> think about someone. Yeah. Um, you, you need to know who the, t- the type of guys, um, my wife was into before me. Very sort of killers, yeah, yeah. Very awkward people, and mm. yeah, and she just never left. <laughs> she, came, she came over for spaghetti, and now we're uh, uh, in July. It will be our three-year wedding anniversary, and then in August it'll be mm. our six-year six-year anniversary of being together. So that's great. Fantastic. It, it's so she's yeah. great. Um, like the John Lennon song, um, "Life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans." You know, I didn't, I wasn't looking for anything anymore. And that's when it happened. That's when it happens. Yeah. That's when it happened. Yeah. Well, you guys are great. It's awesome. Well, uh, <clears throat> throw, throw us out a recommendation, Gene. A book, a, a, you know, a group, a movie, something that uh, might be a bit off the beaten path people might not know about. Um, I would say um, there's a German movie from... It's probably about seven years old. It's called, uh, it's either Guess Who's Back or Look Who's Back. And it starts in 1945 at the Fuhrer bunker. And Hitler is about to commit suicide. All of a sudden, like, there's a big flash. And Hitler wakes up. and He's in modern-day Berlin. And, um... Wow. A documentary filmmaker sees him, thinks he thinks it's a it's an act or something, because I guess that's a thing in Germany. Um, and so he takes them. Scared to think about. So he, he takes them on on you know on a tour of Germany, meets with people, and he, people are starting to like actually listen to him again. Oh no! Yeah, it's a really damning indictment of media. Yeah. Um, of how. Uh, not to get political, of how the media will do 
do things for ratings that might not be what's best for um, the society. Sure. I mean, I, I don't know how that's relatable to anything in American politics at all, and I resent what? the accusation. Our media has never made a mistake and uh, is definitely not about money. So, I for it reminds one... Reminds me a little bit of Don't Look, Don't Look Up. Uh... Yeah, that, that movie... Oh, yeah, the new film. They mm-hmm. didn't go far enough in the, into the media thing, I think. I, yeah, I think... It's, it was just a small part yeah, of Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. the big thing. I, I read an article by... Uh, uh, Ross Douthat on the New York Times but like he's like this is how I think it really would have happened there have been like someone saying oh you know um, I'm going to slaughter it so I'm not even going to mention it but that's a very good article if you just google Ross Douthat don't look up and I, I you know I, I watched I watched that early, uh, a couple of days ago I watched final, I was finally able to watch The Last Duel the other night Ooh, I still haven't watched that. That one. was really Me good. Either. Was it? It was Affleck really good. Uh, ben Affleck, they need to do a spinoff of just his character, because I could watch an, an entire movie of that character. Ben's kind of back, ben isn't he? Ben Affleck's ben really grown on me in the last few years. I I really want to mm-hmm. see a Bruce Wayne movie with Ben Affleck. I don't care about the Batman so much. I just want to see the brooding Bruce Wayne. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Ben's, I don't think he, I don't think Ben ever left, but maybe there was like two two years or something. I mean, I mean, like socially, yeah, like yeah. his. Oh. Well, yeah, he was you know he won an Oscar and... for what's the for one where he's the, the team going to the, the right. That was kind of like his start back. I feel like yeah, yeah. But I thought he was a great Bruce Wayne. Yeah, We're... I thought he was fine. Um, Sounds like he was miserable doing that, but I mean, hearing some of the actors talk uh, about sounds like everyone was yeah especially when Josh yeah. came on I'm the only one but. um film is called look who's back okay like you said look who's back i'm definitely gonna check that out it 2015 fast. so it's not old no yeah that looks <laughs> sounds super fascinating i definitely <laughs> want to check that out totally yeah well one of my favorite movies of the last you know decade is is death of stalin so that kind of tells you mm. my uh my sense of humor. Your thing. Yeah. I haven't seen Death of Stone. <gasps> <laughs> I got two that, two that movies sigh. about foreign dictators and Slash gas. Somewhere yeah. in Ohio, Frank just woke up in a, in a cold sweat. It's like, no. It's pretty common for Frank. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Vomiting yeah. blood, you know. It's, we can gonna, say that because I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen to our podcast. But... <laughs> uh... He's a good friend who I don't think listens to our podcast. Right. There's so many podcasts that make you listen and listen. There are. They make you listen they make and listen. listen and listen. We don't and make I, anyone listen. Nope. I've nope. been known to encourage people not to. <laughs> I've, I've literally said you shouldn't listen. Or at uh, least skip the first five episodes. <laughs> well, there, there was context. I generally want people to listen to our podcast, but there was, you know, time constraints and other things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what? let's get back to the chapter. Yeah. Gee, what do you like about this one? Why'd you pick it? Um, I picked it, well... You know, th- this isn't my favorite chapter in the books. My favorite chapter in the books is, uh, you know, the Merman's Court with Davos and Wyman Manorly. But I like this yeah. one because you get to see another 
part of Westeros and how they deal with things. Um, you know, the Vale, very honor based, and you know, Jan Royce is it Jan or John? I, you know, I say Jan. Jan. Jan I say Jan. Jan Royce. Um, yep. He builds an amazing coalition, which we'll talk about, and he does everything the right way, the right way. And unfortunately for him, he's up against a modern politician in medieval times. I talking to Scad earlier, Littlefinger, he's not like some political genius. He's he's just an he is a competent city mayor who is dealing with a bunch of people who have no idea what he's working on. Um, I spent more time than I would like to admit trying to find a way to compare Littlefinger to um, Pete Buttigieg and Ted Cruz because <laughs> I am economical in, in, in my insults. But it didn't, it didn't work. But that's how I... I he, he's someone who he who is objectively smart in my isn't as smart as he thinks he is but he's still but he's luckily for him he's up against people who have no idea how to deal with someone who does this kind of stuff who does things the way he does things yeah. that's yeah. i like that i like that side of it okay <laughs> all right yeah i think all we'll right. get more we'll get some more into some of those details for sure yeah, for sure in that part of the scene about why he's successful and what he's up against and how it works out for him. And I, mm-hmm. I also like seeing Sansa develop as a character. I know Sansa gets a bad rap for the first few books, and a lot mm-hmm. of her chapters are boring. Or, you know, like, uh, she's whining. Well, you know, she's a 12-year-old girl and all this stuff is happening to her. Like, have some empathy. Um, but you really see, you know, the person Sansa is going to become, you know, uh, come to the fore in all these chapters, but, you know, this one's where I think she finally realizes, okay, there is a plan behind everything. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And she has some light bulb moments. And it, and in the, in the winds sample chapter, that is, you know, she, she's almost fully developed as a player in the game, I think. So. Agreed. Yeah, it's uh, like like I was saying before, in Sansa 1 of Feast for Crows, she's still very much Sansa, I feel like. In Elaine 2, she's very Elaine. In Elaine 1, which we're covering here, she's still kind of yeah. between both worlds. And so I think it was a super fascinating pick, picking this one. I like it. I also like, I also like kind of the first part of this section we're about to cover uh, to, to move toward that summary. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll get to why. But shall some, we some other another side of Sansa that we don't get to see much of mm-hmm. yeah let's do it okay so where we left off little little finger just like little Robbie eschews his porridge instead asking for a breakfast kiss from Elaine oh before mm-hmm. issuing her some chores to do in preparation for the arrival of the Lord's declarant get some wine mold and some bread and cheese laid out that's some wine mold I just realized it sounded like I said mold like moldy wine, mm. mold, M-U-L-L-E-D. She'll be, she will be receiving the Lord's declarants when they arrive. Also, she has got to change no Tully colors and no Aaron colors. They both send a bad message. 
But Elaine is starting to get nervous about this whole affair. Jan Royce is in the party, and he, he had met her, her, Sansa, twice. Certainly he will recognize her, right? Right? Ah, Peter reassures her that she was a younger girl then, of auburn hair, and that men see what they expect to see. But Elaine is still nervous. Nervous enough to suggest just giving these lords what they want. Robert and the Vale, just give them. Yeah, he, he has Harrenhal, after all. Remember that? He's its new owner. They could just go there. But Peter doesn't like it. Huge and cavernous, impossible to defend. Plus, it's cursed. Curses are only in songs and stories, Sansa insists. Littlefinger disagrees, giving an account of the people that have held Harrenhal in the last 150 years all coming to unlikely and violent ends. From the Strongs and Haraways up to Amory Lorch, Gregor, and even the seemingly untouchable Tywin. It'll pass, please and thank you. He sends Elaine on her way to do her duties. We'll spare the details here, except to say that she handles them adeptly and quickly, making good decisions along the way and getting herself ready in the process. In the end, the castle is ready to receive the Lord's Claret, and Sansa herself transformed such that she can barely even recognize herself. And as the lords made the climb or rode the basket up to the Eyrie, Elaine met them in the crescent chamber first thing with bread and cheese and wine, invoking guest right as quickly as she can. <laughs> she effectively identifies the different lords by their heraldry, served them, and played host as best she could. Bronjian was the last to arrive. Sansa recalled his booming voice from Winterfell, his skill at arms, and looking him in the eyes was almost panic enough to fall at his feet and beg for his protection. Instead, she offered him wine. Do I know you, girl? Yon asked. Elaine felt trapped, but Lord Nestor, Yon's cousin, saved her. Elaine is the Lord Protector's natural daughter. At which the Lord's declarant reveals some pretty terribly true colors about themselves, and start making ribald remarks about her maidenhood and bastardy. It's, frankly, it's disgusting. Ugh. Thankfully, at least to this reader... Lady Wainwood steps in with a less-than-chivalrous save and requests that Elaine bring them to her father sooner rather than later. And she does, leading them up a steep flight of steps, past some murder holes, through a porculus, and into the solar where Peter awaits them. Um, creepiest line I can remember reading in this whole series. There might be creepier, but if what I can remember is I'd sooner break my fast with a kiss. Get a job, you gross. creep. it's pretty gross just upsets me so much and she knows she has to she has no agency in this and peter knows that too which makes it even creepier and then he's like but it's it's that line after that you know after she pecks him on the cheek how do you piece of crap no kidding like what do you expect but but this is this is again kind of an example of her ability to like compartmentalize she's able to both swoop in and give the kiss because she knows she must she's the daughter and she has to do that as the daughter and Mm -hmm. also step away very quickly because she does not feel safe like bare minimum she's doing both at the same time it's like she's got a split personality bare minimum do what i gotta do protect myself that's how that's how i live my life at work bare minimum I can't get hurt, you know? <laughs> Why excel when I'm still going to get paid the same? I'll just do the bare minimum, Back. fly underneath the radar. Back to that yeah. office epi- one another office episode where Jim's talking about all the pranks he's playing on Dwight or something, and 
he spends like the whole day doing it and he made like two sales at lunch he's like so pretty much just another about as productive as i'd be any other day (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, the the greatness and and terribleness of sales i don't don't think i could live in that pressured world of i gotta sell today like i would i'd be a wreck yeah i I did for 10 months and it's not fun at all I just yeah motivating I mean, myself to get up every day and go do that is yeah I I agree with you guys. There are people that are just built for it that like they like that thrill they like that possibility and I don't know it, it would give me anxiety yeah they thrive on it yeah. yeah. So for a thirteen year old gal, Scott, I think maybe you were alluding to this. Sansa's pretty solid here, making the decisions that she's making and running the household and getting things ready for the Lord's declarant, huh? The mulling of the wine, finding the cheese, commanding the bread making, cleaning up, arranging the chairs just so, remembering yeah. even to get the candles up and when it gets dark. I mean, she's just telling other people what to do, but this is, you know, this is she's what... She's thinking through the decisions, though, and Yeah, everything. this is what the lady of the house would do. Like, this right. is... Yeah. She's showing herself to be very capable in this role, and it's, um, you know, it's not the most important part of the chapter by any stretch, but I thought it's it's nice to see her just kind of growing confident with these kind of everyday things a lot of similarities between sansa in this chapter and catelyn when uh robert comes to winterfell you know they're talking about candles we need these candles because you know all the arian loves to read we need to make sure he has extra candles i you know you really see you know she paid she was paying attention to what catelyn was doing you know she might not have might not see it on page but she you know, she had just internalized. This is what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm running the castle. This is what I have to do. Right. Good call good, out. Yeah. yeah. That good auburn call. hair coming out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I was impressed with her. It hits hard. I've said this on the cast before, but my daughter is of an age with Sansa right now. My daughter's 12. And so I compare everything to where my daughter is at maturity wise. Which she's a mature little gal, but uh, so it's it's an interesting time for me. I'm just trying to imagine like my daughter making these types of decisions. Is she still into Darth Vader? She she loves Darth Vader. Um, uh, she's she's a cool little kid. We found a old hoodie of mine, a Dave Matthews Band hoodie uh-huh. that I had she from high school. Um, my wife adopted it when we got married. Uh-huh. And then she just dug it out of the bottom of a stack in the closet and gave it to gave it to Leia. Now Leia wears it. So That's awesome. Yep. My little pal. Uh what else? Um I liked how um how the Eerie is just just completely different from any other castle we'll ever see in this series. Yeah. You know, it like it's just one hall where everyone comes in is and it's the same place where all the freight comes in you know it's like so you have to you know in, welcome all these lords next to you know pallet jack and stuff it, <laughs> it's just yeah. it's so unglamorous it's like yeah. you know you yon roy's climbing up a chimney yeah you know <laughs> yeah. yeah like like climbing up these stone steps or getting put in a bucket and wrote you know drawn up like it's just you know it looks so beautiful from the outside and then you know imagine the first time you're at the at this castle and you just see all this you know gunk everywhere 
You're taking us by your prisoners? Yeah, like, it's like the prisoners you, are coming above to us the... right now. <laughs> you go into the White House like via the loading dock or exactly. something. Exactly. <laughs> also, the structure of it just speaks to the you hear all the all the time this impregnable kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But like listening to her to describe how she has to take these people up, so 600 feet is that last climb. Like imagine, you know throwing ice shooting them with arrows oil tar whatever yeah just like one at a time as they try to climb this thing and even if they get to the top you got this steep stairway where you can have people battling them all the way up if they had just put like you know like the night's watch does with the with the uh gates ever like if they just put one of those gates every you know eight mm-hmm. to ten stairs this place would just be impossible right <clears throat> but uh murder holes too just uh Man, it'd be, it really would be a mess to try to get into this place. I don't think you could, yeah, yeah. unless you were on Dragonback. Just imagine right. how many people died building this thing. Like, That's the thing that goes through my mind, o- too. OSHA like, wasn't around back then. This? People still die with OSHA. <laughs> so, you know, like, oh, yes, you know, we lost half half of the Masons yesterday, you know. The, the ice gave way, and they slid down to the bottom of the mountain. Well, just hire more, you know. Yeah, I I can't live in the gates of the moon anymore. It's too small. Like, like comparing it to like my software company that I work for, like making the choice to commit the capital to try to build this thing would have been a very hard choice to make. Like, we could just build a really nice castle at the bottom, right? We're even halfway up or something. No, that's reasonable. You could build it into the mountain. (laughs) You could be like the Casterly Rock of of the like Helm's Deep or something. Yeah. 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 But it's it's so majestic too, and you're right. It's they kind of have cool. to come through the bowels of it to get to the yeah. It, it's just to a, get to a, it, but uh, which is kind of humbling, yeah. right? To yeah. the people coming up, that like it's just a fairy tale. No, castle you don't too. get special treatment. You know, the, it is. You call it the fairy castle very much. A yeah, the fairy tale marble like always, and like we were just talking about with you know the you know the old fables and stuff in the in Bavaria, right? It feels it very much feels like a like a fairy tale like it's almost like the countryside the way mm-hmm. sansa describes it right Fits. it's impregnable but it, i guess the biggest con to it is is it's very easy to lay siege to like yeah, you just true. plant someone down at the bottom of that mountain yeah and they'll starve like you no may not eggs. be able to get up the mountain but just if you're patient yeah. if you don't have to take the eerie this week yeah. if you can wait a few months they're gone yeah, it's true. There's no way someone's getting up there. And especially right now because winter's coming, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't really stay up, you know. I It's never said how high up it is, but it has to be, you know, way above the snow line. So, like, yeah. you can't – eventually you run out of fuel and you're just in a, in a cold castle. That's right. You know. And in that instance, it's a tomb. Yeah. Right? Do we get much of a description of the gates of the moon? I mean, I know in in Sansa one, in the Feast for Crows, you know Peter actually gives it to Nestor Royce, mm. like for yeah. you know in perpetuity. Uh, but do we ever get a description? Like, is it is it a suitable defense? Like, for, if you were to come down, you know, like if somebody's if somebody's trying to starve you out, they'd have to get past the gates of the moon or keep them coming in from to the gates of the moon. Yeah, I think I read it's like two or three times bigger than the Eyrie. It used to be the yeah. official resident of the kings, uh, right. the Falcon Kings, and but it just wasn't grand enough. And instead of spending the money on you know 
building it up. Oh, I'm just going to put a castle on the side of the mountain, you know, because that's a, yeah. that's a reasonable thing. What if we got some thing. nice new tapestries? What if we built stairs into the mountain? Tapestries? Yeah. This is a it, castle. It, you it, have it, tapestries. It's, it's kind of like stuck almost like a gate, right? In between like ridges yeah. and everything. Yeah. So I think it's pretty formidable. Yeah. It sounds like one of the biggest issues is they just don't have a lot of people to hold it. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. If you've got the Lord's declarant, each bringing a thousand troops. Right. Yeah. It just, it just becomes overwhelming at some point. Vale as a whole, it just seems like a nightmare if you're trying to invade it because there's only one or two roads through the entire kingdom. There's right. any, you know, if you go, you know, go from the Riverlands, you're going to have to go through the, the clansmen first. The clans, you know, yeah. and then the bloody gate. If you go through Gulltown, well, you know, you have all. It just it it seems like a nightmare. There's no quiet way to do that. No. Yeah, it's a mess, and there's mountains everywhere. Like travel's not easy. You know, even if you came by ship or whatever. Yeah, well, you got to deal with mountains everywhere. It's a mess. One of the ways I prepped for this episode was I have the the uh, Game of Thrones mod on Crusader Kings two. Oh yeah, and mm. so I. Uh, took over as uh, Robert Aaron. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, I don't play any games, like, straight. I, I use console commands to make characters do what I want them to do. Because I want to have fun. I don't want to, you know, beat my head against the wall for Follow three hours and Littlefinger kill me. So, um, but it's... it's, it's the people who did that mod did a great... Because a lot of what's in the books is ha- happens as events. And, you know, it can be like the peak of summer you raise levees and you're losing men to, you know, exposure and stuff. It, it It's just a, it's terrible. But I, I also played it so I could realize kind of the, the geography of the veil never really made sense to me on, in the maps in in the books. So just trying to figure out, like, you know, where these lords are coming from, where they're gathering... Right. You know, because some of them, they make a pretty big hike to get there. So we can cut all that. Yeah, it's I've a heard. bigger place than it seems. Yeah. Yes. Were you going to say, Scad? And, and relatively untouched by the war, too. Um, yeah. Population perspective. No, I just, on the Crusader Kings thing, I think I've heard Aziz talk about about playing that quite a bit and how, how great it is as well. It, it almost it almost spurred me to give it a try, even though I don't I don't game at all anymore. But uh, I mean, where else can I give Stannis Baratheon a dragon? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Has it ever happened that the dragon doesn't just eat him? Nope. You can just do a console command, say Dragon Rider, and he has a two hundred year old dragon, and you just you know. Or the dragons just like nah. <laughs> they can be, especially especially if the character dies and you're trying to tame them. I think it's like I don't think I'm nah, nah. <laughs> I'm just gonna, they, you know. They could have very easily trolled many of us by instead of saying "make dragon rider," the command had to be "give dragons blood" or something. Ooh, there you go. Would have trolled me. Drink dragon flame. <sighs> the blood doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the the moment you wanted to know about Matt uh, of Sansa's doubt and fear and wanting to get out is when she is moments from throwing herself at Yon Royce's feet. Yeah. She is 
seconds away from just giving up the game. It's true. And just begging for uh-huh. help from a basic, basically a stranger. A stranger she thinks is, you know, has high character, but yeah. basically a stranger. A, a guy she saw beating the tar out of her dad once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the yard. I love that story. Yeah. Throwing him around like a rag doll in the yard. And then beating up Roderick Castle. His son too. off at the Night's Watch, right? Yep. Um, that was a fun what if episode question I wrote down. What if Roy what would Royce do if Sansa revealed herself? Mm. Do you guys think any ideas? When we get back to those what ifs. Yeah, I definitely have to think on that for a little bit. It's hard. I feel like we don't get a ton about Royce. I mean, we're just meant to think of him as this noble specter of the veil, right? But like I don't know, we we don't get a ton about him, do we? No. No. He's got a good reputation, like Gene said. Yeah, right. Um, I mean He seems uh, old school. He's just like kind of hard. He's boiling for a fight. I think he's irritated at how Ned Stark was treated. And I think if it was up to him, they would have declared for Rob right right from the get go. So I I think if you know I think if Sansa's like, hey, I'm you know, I'm Eddard Stark's daughter. I've, you know, you beat my dad up to beat my dad to a pulp in, in Winterfell and all this. You know, he would have been like, okay, this changes things. Um, let's deal yeah. with Littlefinger first, and then we'll deal with the, deal with your problem. I think that's kind of how he would have reacted. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, it seems it seems likely, and. And is, is one of those moments, now that we look at it under a microscope a little bit, you might have to cross it off the list because we're doing it now, Matt. <laughs> this what if, but <laughs> but it, it's, it becomes one of those one of those moments you can think of in the series where you're like, ah, if only they'd have if done only. this, it was right yeah. there. If only. You know? Yeah, I think it would have gone well for her. Yeah, me too. But I think this is kind of that, this is that in-between chapter. Yes. And, and I think this is a hinge moment where she doesn't do it. And because I think there's a side of her that is intrigued by what, not with Littlefinger himself, but the way he does things and the way he's manipulating. I think that's kind of intriguing to her. She likes that idea of she's these, the the books before this, she's had no control over her own fate. And now she's seeing a way where she can, in a way, control her own fate and not have to do it with a sword or not have to do it through other ways yeah. but through just manipulation and if, i think right, that if, that's there's a spark in her that's like i can do this and i want to learn how if she doesn't see what's happening to her as abuse and control then she could see it you're right mm-hmm. as growth as like i'm getting i'm getting more freedom isn't the right word but more choices mm-hmm. i guess opportunities right? maybe opportunities yeah, yeah. Where she that's, creates that's the way. opportunities right she doesn't have and, to be reactive and peter is at least giving her the illusion that she's you know kind of a partner in this almost mm-hmm. and and so yeah it, that that might be competing against the cry for help i need safety thing but it still safety. feels like it still feels like she's too afraid and another and thing in this chapter yes it, it seems like Almost everyone she's confided in has ha- had like something else going on, like the Tyrells. Yeah. Which I think the Tyrells were upfront with her about wanting to 
do stuff, you know, um, um, uh, you know, yeah, but over to Willis they, they kind of, you know, uh, they had selfish reasons for wanting to do what they were doing, but I think they weren't lying to her. Yeah. It's like, you know, the Tyrells, they had an ulterior motive. Uh, she thought Dantos was, you know, helping her. He mm-hmm. had something else. So why would she confide with anybody? Why would she trust that someone's going to be up front with her? Cause she has all this experience of people, you know, having their own things going on, wanting to do, you know, use her for something else. And absolutely, you know, it's, it's horrible, but it's like a devil, you know, you know, I I can deal with little fingers, creepiness, you know, I, I don't know. That's my thoughts on it. At least he's trying to help me and it's been, or it looks like he is. Or I'm learning something from this. Yeah. I don't blame her. It's no. just still too bad she didn't make. She's that a choice. kid. <laughs> like you can't blame yeah. any of these characters because they're kids. That's a common refrain from our early yeah. episodes. I, right? I, yeah. I think that's a problem. the The show had to age the characters up because they're getting into situations that you don't want to see kids and preteens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it also kind of changed how we view the characters because we're sure. looking at Sansa as being you know seventeen, eighteen years old. She's not. She's thirteen. She's not even in high school yet. And she's having to deal with all this. I can only speak for myself, but I blame my kids for a lot of stuff. I do. I blame them for a lot of stuff. I blame them for not having good judgment. And like, so, you know, I, I think Sansa gets too much blame for things. And most of the kids through the fandom do. And I think your point, Gene, is, is astute. People see them on the screen and then they age them up in their minds when they're reading them too. It's hard not to do. It's Mm -hmm. it's hard not to do. You got that, that image in your head. And so I think I think the point is well made. I think we, I, I don't like drawing the line in the sand of we can't judge kids for poor decisions. Oh, definitely not. Because my kids make good decisions all the time, and they make some bad ones too. And yeah, it's my job to teach them, but I still judge them when they make bad ones. But also, your kids aren't you know in a situation where if they say the no. wrong thing, they're they're going to get their head chopped off or something, or you know. Of course, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Just, I don't know how things go on <laughs> over there. So. Utah is a strange I, and dangerous I, place. So far, only fingers, no heads. But uh, no, yeah, they're throwing the ball, you know, around a full glass of milk. You know, they're not. Yeah. You know, wondering whether or not they should confess a secret identity to someone they barely know. You're right. They're completely different. They're different bars to measure. Yeah, for sure. There's kind of a throwaway line that has generated some buzz about. Cersei sending Littlefinger some tapestries. Yeah. Littlefinger asked for some tapestries of Roberts to be sent up to the Vale. Cersei apparently uh, does it. And we even, he gifts them to Nestor Royce. And even, I think it's in the wind sample chapter Mm -hmm. there. It even brings it up again that the tapestry, he's like, Nestor's like showing them off to, some visitors, you know, when everyone's there for the jousting tournament. Um, is there something behind those tapestries? They they keep coming up, not keep coming up, but they come up like a handful of times. I remember seeing see, reading a theory about it back in the day on, I think it was in, on Tower of Hand, about mm. what those were like, what, what what was behind that. But I, I don't know, maybe in 10 years when Winds comes out, we'll... Um, you know, find out what it means. 
<laughs> when our grandkids are reading wins to us because our eyes don't work anymore. I mean, they are Robert's tapestries, right? Yes. The ones that he put up when he moved the, the dragon skulls down. Yeah, and Cersei took them down after he died. Right, and if I remember right, and the memories are very scarce, but they're like hunting scenes and scenes of forestry and things like that. Right, right? Yep. yeah, something like that. So they might they might have some play in the Vale. They might be scenes of the Vale, right? I mean, Rob, Robert grew up there, um, so they might just be they might be scenes that are reminiscent of the Vale. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, some like old Peter's tapestries getting them to Peter's getting them to. I don't know ingratiate himself with you know the the lords here who held robert in mostly in pretty high esteem right yeah he nestor definitely appreciates them but at the same time it's like you just gave nestor the gates of the moon like he's on your side you don't need to (laughs) you don't need to give him tapestries maybe he knows they hang way down to the floor and he's planning to hide behind them or something The tapestry. The, the Mad Mouse is gonna hide behind a tapestry and kill yeah, somebody. It's, it's when this ha- when this happens and wins, I want credit. <laughs> it's coming back to us. I when, Hamlet ha- when Hamlet two happens, <laughs> and it's Sir Shadrick with his red hair. If it's Sir Shadrick, then Gene can get all the. And credit. he dumps out like char- jumps out like Charlie on. It's always sunny in Philadelphia with his sword going. Ay, 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 ay. That's uh, that's not one I know, but. Oh, that's my favorite scene, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I'll try to send you a clip. I have never watched okay. an episode of that series. Oh, At this point, man. I don't want to. It's... Oh, man. Some of my favorite memories of Brooke are, are laughing about It's Always yes. Sunny in Philadelphia. But, uh, Lady Gwen has a theory about these tapestries. Okay, right. let's hear them. Wait, 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 wait. Better than Sir Shadrick slaying someone? Amazon. No, I was gonna say that's not. a pretty high bar. Yeah. Sorry, LG, we love yeah. you, but this is Come second on. place. So I was wondering. I I was had the thought of maybe something's being hid in the tapestries, like one of Littlefinger's agents is rolling something up in the tapestry, mm. and then getting it's a way to get something up there that they need. But I had no idea what would be important enough that they would have to do it that way. Lady Gwen thinks she posits the same thing that they're hiding something in the tapestries but she figured out what she thinks it is and it's a whole theory i can send it to you guys or look up um her website's actually ladygwenifar.com but look up lady gwen i don't know king's tapestries is the name of the post on her website it's not on the radio west rose website it's on her website uh look up radio or king's tapestries and you'll find it okay are you going to give she, us like the 10 second version? She thinks it is the Valyrian steel sword lamentation. Do you remember oh. that one? <laughs> I wouldn't uh, blame you if you did. Uh, I remember the name. I don't know. I don't know. Did it? House yeah, I can't remember which family. It's it the, to. it's the ancestral sword of house Royce. Mm. And it was lost in King's landing. Um, there's, all it remember when uh joffrey valerion died like in king's landing and they sent out people to go retrieve his body and everything one of those was a royce or something like that and he had lamentation and lamentation was lost at that point okay and so 
Gwen, she goes into a lot more details as she and Yokoi do. They always have plenty of stuff to back up their theories. And she thinks that uh, Littlefinger knew it was there, had it, and somehow got it rolled up in a tapestry and sent up to him. And he can use that then to bribe Jan Royce mm-hmm. to try to get him back on his side, tempt him with his family's ancestral sword. Or give it to Nestor and really piss him off. Or really piss <laughs> off Jan. Well, it's... Kick that, kick that hornet's nest. It's kind of like what Littlefinger sells Sansa in Sansa 1, where, you know, men of honor will do things for their children that they would never think of doing for themselves. You know, when he mm-hmm. gives him the gates of the mm-hmm. moon. Right. You know, would, would John Royce, you know, forget his hatred of Littlefinger if he knows that his son's going to carry their ancestral sword? Yeah, it's like a legacy. You know, that, that, that's something right. that could change. I, that's very interesting. I, I don't know if that's the theory. I, I don't think I read that theory, but it makes a lot uh, more like sense it. than the theory I did read. I mean, besides the Mad Mouse hiding back there, <laughs> I'm. That's that's, that's one, <laughs> and that's one, and Lady Gwyn's is like one B. One B. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but it's one of those. Uh, it's like, yeah, it sounds great. It sounds good to me. I love LG's stuff. Yep. I, it like it makes me hate her because because <laughs> oh, she does such a good job of like making it seem so simple. And you're like, why did I not see this? Yeah, she, she talks the, the way she the, explains it is just so clear. She's like, like oh. in the post, so Yolk Boy and I started discussing the location of different Valyrian steel swords, and we realized lamentation is unaccounted for. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these oh are the conversations gosh. you have at breakfast. Oh, lovely lady. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, Eowyn, did you do you know what Valyria is? <laughs> no. So. I mean, yeah, my wife's like, your podcast that you've been doing for seven years, the fingers, <laughs> someone's fingers. Fingering. <laughs> like, I'll say something about Lord of the Rings and Church will be like, what? Because she refuses to what? watch them. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> she has some sort of hang up about watching them because I guess her brother used, uh, oh, I'm going to go watch Lord of the Rings with my girlfriend. As an, as an excuse to go have uh, relations, so it's like completely just like she, she was like ten at the time, so it's like completely just soured her on anything about Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's like it's too bad. I would think maybe that could be like a line you could use, Gene. Where you're like, hey, you want to go watch Lord of the Rings? No, no, actually, Ooh. it's the opposite Ooh. effect. Yes, <laughs> it's <was> like <laughs> I'm just, just I'm thinking about her brother. <laughs> I I just feel like. Her brother was writing checks. His body could definitely not cash if he's trying to have relations for the length of time it takes to do Lord of the Rings. Like nobody's body can cash that. Not check. even the theatrical versions, let alone the extended. <clears throat> well, maybe Did you, you know, say extended. You start at the first, then you can watch half the movie to you know get yourself back up to fight and strength again, and then you can go for round two while the movie's still going. That's fair. That's a fair point. Try to finish right when Gandalf falls in the pit. You, know. <laughs> you shall not. No, not. <laughs> Next time I watch Lord of the Rings, I'm totally watching it through that lens of like when right when he the slams the staff is the moment. Right when he slams the, the staff is the perfect time. Boom. 
listen, you're not getting this commentary on any other podcast. Give the people I what they want. I promise you that. Good lord. Oh, I love us. We're the best around. I love us. On that note, I think my only other real big note on this uh, section is that I'm calling the band name Stinky Blue. Stinky Blue. Mm. I called it Stinky Blue Cheese. That's one of only two cheese options left in the Erie. She doesn't choose it, so it's available, and I'm calling it for my band, Stinky Blue. Um, The Meatloaf tribute band. (laughs) (laughs) Give it a moment, Gene. The man's not even in the ground yet. Uh, I only had... Well, this is kind of about the Searcy bit. Um, he makes an interesting comment about just, it's almost offhand as if it's a gimme. He says, well, then I just have to remove her from the game a little bit earlier than I planned. As if, as if he could just snap his fingers and have that happen. Is this, is this the Kettle Blacks? Is, does he have other agents in the city that like, why is he so confident he could just do this? Yeah. The Kettle Blacks are would probably be the only ones close enough to Cersei to do anything. Yeah. But I also, I think it's just Littlefinger, you know, talking out of his ass because he knows Sansa isn't in any, in any position to not believe him. So that's true. Yeah, yeah it, can talk a big game with her. Yeah. It's like, are you guys familiar with Clue the movie? Yes. No. This it, this won't be a perfect comparison, but like. You know how Mr. Green is like always like he he's kind of a bumbling idiot, mm-hmm. uh, but but he's really uh, in one of the endings at least he's part of the FBI and a badass and in control of the whole thing all night. Yeah. Uh, you wonder whether Peter is really as capable as he says he is, and really is in control of things, and we just don't really know how many resources he has up his sleeve. Or whether he's actually the bumbling idiot, right? And he's just super overconfident and, like we said earlier, not risk averse and doesn't care about about failing and just is putting on a good show the whole time. I, I, I don't know which it is. I, I feel like maybe everyone's discounting him a little too much. I'm not usually a big Peter's gonna conquer and win the day guy. Like I don't really, I don't really think he's you know gonna gonna win this whole game of thrones thing but i feel like he's more adept and got more connections than we think i'm starting to come around on him i would agree yeah i think he does talk a big game because i think that's part of his mystique yeah his mystique is his confidence um but i see no reason to believe that he's not prepared and he doesn't have a lot of pieces in play you know, his effectiveness as master of coin at just getting money out of nowhere and all of this stuff. He's always had backup somewhere. We're about to read about the backups that he has even at this Lord's Declarant meeting, right? Yep. Um, it, no reason to believe that he doesn't have something going on there, I think. So, yeah, yeah he's formidable for sure, even if he is talking out of his rear sometimes. Yeah, I like um, in... Tyrion's first uh, 
chapter where he's now he's the master of coin and he's trying to figure out Littlefinger's accounts and he <laughs> he has no idea where to start. It's yeah. it's it just goes back to the whole you know, Littlefinger is doing, you know, Federal Reserve type stuff in medieval times and no one knows how to deal with it, so he you know, it's like, oh, he just produces dragons out of nowhere. Well, yeah, because he's making it all up. So yeah. Yeah. you know yeah, and it's really easy to, you know, build yourself a, a massive fortune if no one understands how the how the books are run. So it's not even really stealing because none of this stuff is really exists. But he, he plays that part kind of down, doesn't he? Like he does, he talks big. Yeah. He brags a lot, but like he's not flaunting his money everywhere. No. No. Right? No. It's kind he of, dresses very I nice. He's but, got a lot. Yeah. He's not a yeah. He's not a braggart or anything, but he's he's confident. Yeah. 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 Right. That's all I got, Gene. You got anything else for this section? Uh, I liked uh, the thought Sansa had as they were walking into the castle with um, the murder holes. You know, it's like oh, they can't miss this sign. You know, let's mm. try to be like oh, we're still in control of this. You know, I I don't. Mainly, my biggest thoughts on. I, I will. I liked how when they were talking about Heron Hall and Littlefinger was like, well, there's something there. All these people have died and their families are dead. It's like, well, then you should give it to Cersei as a gift. I, I like that. <laughs> Just, you know, a little bit of the, the little bit of Sansa Stark coming out, you know, like, yeah. And, and Lord Frey. Yeah. Too. And, and just as, yeah. Lord yeah. Frey, yeah. Like, you know, she wants revenge the same as Arya does. She's this you know, can't be as, you know, you know, girl boss about, about it. it as Arya is. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, good, it's a good moment. Sassy and it does, it sh- it sh- her little quip response, like immediately to his, his, his whole speech of, of, of about Heron Hall. Yeah, she's, she's got a quick, she got a quick head. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get to know Jean a little bit better. Let's do it. All right. Gene, what is your Song of Ice and Fire story? How did you How did you find the series? Books? Which I think we uh, we found out already, right? A little bit, a little yeah. Bit. Um, I was uh, I had just gotten my student loan check, so of course I went to the bookstore, um, <laughs> and I had heard stuff about Game of Thrones, but I, you know, whatever. I didn't have HBO. I was, you know. Um, so what year is this? This around? is in 2011. I would say. Okay. Either no, might have been might have been the beginning of 2012. I know the first season it was either going on or it just ended. And I went into okay. the local bookstore. And I saw a display of you know, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire series, and you know the brand new book that had just come out was you know Dance with Dragons. And uh, so, like I said, I opened it up. Uh, Saw Davos talking to Wyman Manderley and Wyman saying the North remembers and Mummer's farce is at an end. And I was like, well, this is pretty interesting. And so I bought all the books and read them in about, you know, probably a month. And uh, nice. yeah, then uh, a couple years later, I was, I had a lot of questions about stuff that I had kind of thought about so i just started googling you know 
uh, Game of Thrones theories and uh, landed on Tower of the Hand. Uh, uh-huh. Is where I, you know, was introduced to, to Stephen Atwell. Yeah. I think that's where we kind of yeah, landed too. You know, uh, Beefish. So then I started getting on Tumblr and um, someone had shared uh, one of Emmett's posts that I didn't really agree with. I thought, you know, but it was really well done and I respected the work. So I followed him and then this got, yeah. It just rolled on from there. Yeah, my... Uh, begets and begets and begets. Yeah. You know, I, I've talked with with John a couple of times. Like, I sometimes I wish I never would have gotten on Tower of the Hand just because <laughs> some of the stuff that, you know, like, where would I be now if I hadn't devoted so much time to this? And, and I'm not even a, you know, I'm not, I don't come up with theories. I don't, you know, like I said, I'm a very peripheral figure in the fandom, if I'm a figure at all. So. Oh, you're a figure. <laughs> Yeah, figured us. Um, yes, definitely. But I like, I, li- I like to think that I I've had some insights on certain things. Um, my big thing is I don't, I don't just talk out of my ass. You know, I'm not going to say something if I haven't thought about it. Um, so mm. maybe it's just you know, it's my specialty. <laughs> it's like yeah, you know. Part of it is just because I, you know, growing up, if I was going to say something, I needed to get to the point. So, um, mm-hmm. also I had a very bad speech impediment, so I had to really think about what I was saying beforehand. I, I wasn't, you know, extrempian, whatever that word is, you know. Extemporaneous. Yes. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> that's exactly, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> but it. yeah. That's it. So yeah, I'm going on. Ten years waiting for uh, wins a winner. So, Word, my aren't friend. we all? I, I can't imagine. <laughs> well, I can't imagine reading a Game of Thrones back in '96 or whenever that came out, and and still, yeah, yes. I just <laughs> oof. Twenty six years later, it was '93, right? Was it '93? I thought '93 was the out? pitch letter. I could. Be. I don't know. Yep. I thought it was ninety six, but I wouldn't never have bet anything on it. Two to one, you guys win. <laughs> um, so, so that's kind of how you found the fandom, right? There's a Song of Ice and Fire, and then there's the a Song of Ice and Fire fandom. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was kind of just through googling ideas and yeah, Tower of the Hand. Yeah, it's like eventually you found old Davos fingers. Yeah. And your life um, was never the same. I got onto podcast. I heard your guys's advertisement on Radio Westeros. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, so a common story. We've heard that a few yeah. times. Sorry, listening to you, and we found out about um, you know, got through the smoke alarms, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and then I got through got through the distaste when I found out you were an Avs fan. Man, right. so <laughs> took a minute. You know, so, uh, I don't know, but you made it. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't write us and say, hey, can you send us a version of your podcast that just has Scott's voice? Yeah. No Matt in it at all. <laughs> you get rid of the ass fan on this, you know. <laughs> it, is, it, it offends me. <laughs> it offends me. Hmm. So who, uh, who would be your favorite minor character in A Song of Ice and Fire or the other works? Miranda Royce. Blood, Duncan Egg. 
Just Miranda Royce. Yeah. That's it. That was a total like. That was, like yeah, that's a total softball. layup yeah. question. I yeah. almost wrote it in, in, <laughs> in a different color. And why is it Miranda Royce? Um. Every time she appears on page, I everything stops, and it's just her. It's mm-hmm. you, you just you know. I like Nestor Royce because you scene. know, yeah, he can't be all bad if he produced some somebody like Miranda Royce. So uh, <laughs> we've had that talk about Mace Tyrell before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. I, I, I like not not being you know uh, a, a disgusting guy about it, but I. She seems. I think she knows that um, Sansa isn't Littlefinger's daughter. I, mm-hmm. She knows yeah. that something's up. I don't know if she knows that she's a Stark, but it also is how I read into it. I think she actually kind of cares about, you know, because they're. I think Miranda is like in her early twenties, so she's right. probably you know, and she's Late only has brothers. So she doesn't have any female friends other than Maya Stone. Mm-hmm. I, I like Maya Stone, too, saying in the veil. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think she den- generally cares for Sansa, and I hope nothing but good happens to Miranda Royce. Oh, yeah, I'd love for her to just be in it to be Sansa's friend. Um, I would love that. You know, the, the Miranda... The Miranda Royce Stan Club, which, you know, Virginia is the president of and I'm the vice president. Which, by the way, I hope uh, we get to hear from Virginie soon. I know um, they've been kind of blacked out because of that volcano. We're thinking about yeah. it here. Um, Virginie's in Tonga. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, we, we've our, our little headcanon is that Rickon becomes Lord of the North and Miranda Royce gets married off to him. And so Miranda gets to you know, raise him to be like the kind of man she, she deserves and, you know, helps guide the North and, you know, yeah, I love these awesome. little, these little, as the president and only member of the Rickon fan club, I approve. <laughs> but you're also a card carrying member of the Miranda fan club, right? Scad? I don't know. I never had to send in any dues, so I'm not sure. Maybe my membership is still pending. I think it's honorary. I, <laughs> I do love Miranda and I'll be blunt about it. One of the things I really do like about her is that I think, I think she's very different than almost every other female in this in this yeah. text, and a lot of that is about her sexuality. Yeah, she's very comfortable. She's just very open with it, and right. aggre- aggressively aggressively open. open. And it's not necessarily even that's never been the women I've gone for. So, like, I don't know, you know, like it's not it's not really a it's not really a personal preference. I would say that I normally have. It's it's I think it's more just. It's so refreshing to see the difference mm. because we, I don't feel like we get that much in these books. Um, you know, there's Shay, I guess, but it's it's her job. So, it's a, yeah. you know, it's a little bit different. And um, I don't know. So it, it's just it's just a refreshing difference. She is um, refreshing. That's a great way to describe her. I love that. Uh, yeah, she's refreshing in other ways, too. Right. Like she <laughs> does seem very smart. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she's she's just sly and cunning. And you get the feeling that she's taken in a lot more than than what she lets on mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i love miranda i think she's awesome i went through a small period of confusion gene when uh, scad and i were talking about the chapter that you chose and everything because i was sure that you would have chosen 
the Elaine chapter that had Miranda in it. And I was yeah. like, are we sure that I think that even in, when Scad and I were texting him, I was like, are we sure that it's the one with the Lord's declarant and everything? And yeah. <laughs> well, my favorite Miranda chapter is the, um, the wind sample chapter, the wind. So when we want to avoid that, so, um, but yeah, we haven't cut up any wind sample chapters yet. And I kind of wanted to stay away from it. I know there are some of our listeners that haven't read them. Yeah, um, exactly. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want anyone to get spoiled, but, because of something I we say, off hand, say so, like spoilers beware. You know, yeah. but I just, you know, I, I want wins to come out just so I can see more Miranda Royce and Davos. I, I, I want to see Wyman Manderly, you know, come back from getting his throat cut and kill some, eat, eat some more frays. Eat some I want to see everyone. Every single time the question comes off, I'm like, what are you looking forward to most? I'm like, it, it, I feel like I have a different answer every time. I want to see everything. Let's I skip can't wait to, for any of these storylines. Let's skip to that question, then we'll come back to some of these other ones. What POV are you most excited to get in wins while we're talking about it? Ooh. That is a toughie. Um, that, Sansa for Miranda? Uh, Sansa's going to be very interesting. Um, yeah. Sansa, Davos. Um, that first John point of view chapter is going to be something. That's yep. going to be a trip, I, right? I, I, and I know George will be able to pull it off, but I... Whew. When you turn the page and the POV title says Ghost instead of Oh, John. God. I'm going to squeal. <laughs> a ghost in Castle Black? So, uh, it, it, yeah. when, when release date is announced, nice. you know, five years from now, I'm going to put in for like two weeks vacation just so I can read yeah. that you know, as many times as I can. Oh. You won't be the only yeah, one, brother. Yeah, it's like, oh. I don't know if I can afford two weeks, but I'm definitely going to be putting in for some time, yeah. Yep. For sure. See, I get two weeks vacation a year now, so. And I get <laughs> sick it time. It's amazing. <laughs> Pay me not to work? What? What is What is your... Uh, it's the dream. What's your favorite minor family? Um, hmm. Do you have just a family that you cheer for? I like the Manderleys, but they're not really minor. Yeah, we'll accept um, that, though. Uh, I, I like the Harlaws. The yeah. Harlaws? I, li I like how this, this you know, random family somehow has a, a Valyrian steel sword that they, you know, mm -hmm. you know, beat off a dead guy. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, we have this now. You know, this is ours. You know, I know, yeah. I know the reader is John's favorite character, so... Yes, he is. You know. I was gonna say we've spent some time talking about Harlaws. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, I think I think there's there there's gonna be at least one family in every one of the kingdoms that you know you like or dislike. Like I don't like the Florence. I never liked the phrase from the beginning. So uh -huh. you know. But, yeah, I feel like George has done a good job of fleshing out even the minor families yeah. to the point where. There's just little things about them that like different people will identify. And even the phrase, like not just all the phrase are bad. There's a lot of good phrase, and that's why they weren't at the red wedding because they knew that they, you know, you couldn't, they wouldn't be able to trust them to do the, the fray thing. Poor little <laughs> Oliver. Yeah. Holy Wanting mom. to marry his princess. Yeah. Ain't gonna do it. Well, what, uh, what, what about the song of ice and fire keeps you coming back? Um. 
I everyone I follow on Twitter, pretty much. The friends you made along the way. Yeah, yeah. The you fan, know, the fandom keeps you coming back. The, the, nice. the scars that bind us. You know, <laughs> the scars that bind us. You know, ooh, that's Gross. gonna be that's gonna be Stinky Blue's first album name. <laughs> <laughs> I you know it just. I don't know. I, I, I'm definitely not as into it as a lot of people are. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there's some people who have just have theories that about it. I, I don't even understand. It's like, good for you. I'm glad for you. Happy. I don't want to have to read them. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, you know, um, it's Matt's philosophy now. Absolutely. Yeah, like, just let I did me read, read what happens. I did read LGs. Yeah. It's like, yeah, do That's what true. you want to do. I'm 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 happy for yeah. you. If it makes you happy, I'm happy. I don't have to read it. I love that. So um but I, I've I've been lucky. I've never been big enough to have people say, Well, that's stupid or you know <laughs> which of course, you know, a random stranger on the internet telling me I'm stupid, that makes me question all of my life choices. It hurts me. Yeah. So again, yep. Well, let's well, uh, let's get to summary part three. Yeah, and that's We're you kicking the us main off event. again, Gene. Yep. The main <clears throat> events, indeed. Peter welcomes the guests, offering them wine as they take seats across from him at the trestle table. After a bit of a delay, Nestor sits next to him, an ally in this discussion, and Lynn Corbray, the wild card, stands at the hearth instead of sitting at all. Peter starts the conversation by praising and asking to sign their declaration. A declaration that pleads to protect Robert and to root out false friends and evil counselors. They are taken aback. This document is referring to Peter. What? <laughs> Bronzion is no fool, though, and doesn't mean to be taken in by Peter's wily words. The Lord insists that they want him gone. To Harrenhal, perhaps, and to leave Robert behind when he goes. The Lord's declarant have a whole plan for raising Robert, starting with fostering him at Runestone with Brown's Jan, but having him, having him visit many lords in his youth to learn of the different houses of the Vale. He will have a good education, good martial training, and friends of his own age. Now, Littlefinger agrees that Robert needs some companions. In fact, he's already arranged for two of them to join them in the IE, and proposes that Lady, Lady Wainwood also send Harold Hardy in as well as suggesting the two of them should be friends. Hmm. Hmm. Jan agrees with Peter. Harold and Robert should be friends at Runestone. It is plain he's getting tired of these talks. Lord Belmore, too. And he just states again, leave for Harrenhal and we will let you go unmolested. When Peter asked why he should be forced out when Lady Lysa brought him there and thought the area was to be his seat, Lady Wainwood speaks up. You aren't of any relation to Robert, and you don't have any business ruling us. Maybe, but Lysa named him Lord Protector, and Peter can stand on that, surely. Surely. Well, maybe not. The lords feel that Lady Lysa was not of the Vale and had no authority to make that call either. Yeah, Lord Nestor speaks up, though, defending Peter's rights. Many of them had wooed Lysa and failed. Peter won her hand, and no one should be able to dispute that. But Jan claims that Robert is a son of the Vale, and he belongs there. Peter pounces. The Eyrie is part of the Vale, unless someone has moved it. Robert will not be leaving, he explains. 
he is not a hardy boy, and the journey to Runestone would be taxing. As his protector, he, he just can't allow him to leave. Peter's not budge on giving up Robert even when threatened with war. We shall have Lord Robert, Bronzion booms. An impasse, it seems. That is, until Lynn Corbray draws Lady Forlorn, bearing steel at a parlay after guest right had already been observed, and insisting that Littlefinger will talk them out of their small clothes if they aren't careful, and states that the only way to settle his sort is with steel. Peter declares that he wears no sword, but again is not flustered. The Lord's declarant, Chide Corbray, insists that he puts Lady Forlorn to bed. Are you a Corbray or a Frey? asks Jan as he puts himself in Corbray's path to Peter. The Lord's declarant. You should have named yourselves the Six Old Women, Lynn states as he slides out of the room. Nice one, Lynn. Ugh. It's all downhill from there for the Lord's declarant. As they stumble over each other to apologize for his behavior, Peter goes on the attack. He should have them arrested. They're lucky he's a man of honor. Then he makes his own demands. They are to leave and take their armies. Robert will stay with him. He admits there has been misrule at Lady Lysa's hands. That was not his doing. And if they give him a single year, he will ensure none of them have cause to complain. They are endangering Lord Robert by denying him food, and that must end as well. He declares that he is no warrior, but he has friends in the Vale and in King's Landing, and he will fight if he has to, if he has to in order to protect Robert. If it's war they want, he will make the Vale bleed. From there, it's a quick retreat by the Lord's declarant. A year's not so long a time, and they don't want war. Peter adds that he wants friends, not foes, and that there will be no grudges held, no honor besmirched by the actions at this parlay. Ranjian doesn't like it, but can see that he has lost. He submits to giving Peter the year, but warns Peter that he is not fooled, as he nearly pulls the door off his hinges with his exit. He bewitched them, Elaine thought later as she lay abed alone in her room. She could not stop thinking of the events that unfolded, a question eating at her brain. She left her bed and went to find Peter. What will happen in a year? Peter explains that much may happen in a year. Some of the lords may die, others he'll win to his side or buy off with the added time. Bronzion will remain steadfast against him, but is not a threat by himself. And what of Lynn Corbray? He will remain Peter's enemy throughout, talking him down, declaring how terrible he is, and joining every effort against Peter. And yet informing Peter all the time and making sure that nothing actually comes to action. And how shall you reward him for this service? Elaine asks. With gold and boys and promises, Peter laughs. Sunderland is a man of simple tastes. All he likes is gold and boys and killing. Gross. That is the end of the chapter. Gross, gross, gross. <laughs> what, Peter? Yeah, and Lynn, you know, oh, stalling. Yeah. Just gross. Yeah. You know, I, I think the concession about misrule is brilliant there at the end. Where he's like, I admit 
Lysa didn't do some good stuff. It like it gives them a little a little concili- conciliation win, right? It's like sure. Yeah. Yeah, he knows it hasn't been good. No. Okay. Yeah. This guy's got justified. Okay on his shoulders. Yeah. yeah. He knows we're justified here in part of this. That this and a year, foreigner not so came bad. in and Yeah. Give a concession, right? Yeah. But then get what you want. So true. And you know it's funny how point of view colors how we see these chapters. Like I'm reading this chapter and I become self-aware of the fact that I'm seeing the Lord's declarant as like these conniving bad guys. Yeah. Right. It's hard for me to separate and go, no, these are the good guys here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like they have every right to be really nervous about what's going on. We want them to win this, this plan they have for Robert at runestone. This is a great plan. Yeah. I have the same, I have the same note. It's like, the plan sounds actually really good. Like, <laughs> even if Peter's stuck around, they should probably do this plan. Yeah. It sounds good. He's going to have a great master awesome. at arms. He's going to learn yeah. everything about the veil. He's going to get out in the friends. open. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you, Gene. Uh, you said just kind of got buried in that bigger point that they have every right to be like, what the hell, man? We had a whole kingdom here that was running, running good, and then now it's all crazy and up in the air and we don't know what's going to happen we don't know where our next meal is coming from here it's a little bit yeah putting it a little too far out there but <laughs> they, they totally should be concerned and should be trying to to get get this back under control right yeah definitely do you think they have a foot to stand on with the whole you know lysa wasn't of the veil and neither are you and that whole thing well, i think um the veil they're a very you know upper crust kind of part kind of part of the nobility they view them because they were the first kingdom that fell to the andals so they kind of view themselves as you know better than a lot of the other kingdoms at least how that's how i've read it and <laughs> okay. yeah and you know the tullys what were the tullys you know the tullys are only you know high lords because you know they turn their back on uh black heron you know, yeah. when uh, Aegon Targaryen, you know, made his play for the throne, so they're you know up they're these they're you know up jump up jumped you know stewards basically. So yeah, of course, and I don't think Lysa made many friends in the Vale, because sure. and she had every reason to not enjoy her time in the Vale, not enjoy her marriage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she didn't have any friends there, so they had no reason to, you know, respect her memory. Yeah, or feel some sense of loyalty. Yeah. I, I don't think they probably have, like, a legal leg to stand on, if that's what you mean. Sure, sure. But, but like, who cares? Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you don't blame them one bit. Like, Yeah, this is, this, is a, this is a, you know, Robert Baratheon sees it with your hammer kind of thing. This is like a... Things are not right here, and we're going to send them. They right have six thousand men in the valley, and they can get twenty thousand more. That's their that's right. their leg to stand on. And and their leg to stand on is that they, you know, most most people that fight for things think they have the the moral superiority here, but they think they're right. Yeah. Yep. You know, they they think yeah. Robert is a mess, and he's gotten that way through, you know, eight or nine years, whatever it is of of being in this environment, and they want to fix it because. 
you know, the the line below him is a little bit of a mess, and they they want to fix it. And yeah, I, I don't know. Lysa was in the veil for a long time. Um, you know, I, I struggle to remember how many years it is, but she went there basically the same time Cat did. And you're right. Yeah, they got Kat's, married. Cat's got time. a 15 year old, so she's been there mm-hmm. for 15 years or something, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, feels um, you know, feels like she had ample time to prove to prove herself to be an okay person to these people and she hasn't done it apparently right so they don't trust her you know she didn't do a good job with robert i don't think they have a real leg to stand on like logically but i also don't think they're wrong and i right. think I agree. the court of public opinion would agree and so mm-hmm. that make that gives them the leg they, they need to stand on absolutely yeah. this thought just came to me the idea of like comparing cat and lisa it feels like if that a similar situation would be in Winterfell, you'd feel like those lords under Stark would really support and be behind and be loyal to Catelyn in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it's interesting to trace those those arcs a little bit. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to tell because you know when what happens to Edward happens to Edward. He has a very capable Rob that just kind of takes the reins, even though Cat's very much puppeting him in in some ways. Yep. But you're right. If there was no Rob, ear. if there was no Rob, I think you're right. They would fall in line and just be under her rule. Right. If Rob was eight, they would just let her rule until he was ready. I think you were going to say something the same time I was, Gene. Um, no, uh, if I was, I forgot it. So, <laughs> dang it, my bad. Yeah. I'm getting old, so. Word. Matt, you and I talked uh, last week about uh ava in in i am mercury and our coverage mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and how she's just kind of going through this whole book delaying and delaying and delaying any sort of action to happen to just kind of see what time brings to her right yeah and mm-hmm. that's part of peter's strategy here right is just draw out the timeline don't make anything but make a decision now and then we'll see where the ball is in a year yeah right? super effective Mm -hmm. yeah and we see in the very next chapter that already starts bearing fruit it does the very next chapter benadar belmore has already basically reconciled with peter Mm -hmm. um simon templeton shows up at the corbray wedding in elaine too which that was like a big thing like that was that was a like a defining line, the Corbray wedding, not Lynn, Lionel Corbray's wedding was the Lord's declarant. We're not going to show up to that one because Lionel right. Corbray supports Peter Baelish. And uh, you end up getting Belmore, Templeton, and Waynewood at that wedding. And getting more fruits from Waynewood as well mm-hmm. uh, with the proposed match with Harding, right? Yep. Hmm, who is this yeah. young man? Why are they name dropping him? Sure, sure, yeah. he means nothing. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it gives me a headache every time I try to go through that family. Oh my god, it's terrible. It, it's I'm like just like, yeah, yeah, I'll pages. take your word for it. It's I'll like take so many pages. nephews dying of, you know, a <laughs> yeah. bad belly. <laughs> yeah. Like... No, just I'm just looking at the died of dysentery. paragraph. Um, when after Sansa asked what will happen in a year. Peter says, you know, Redford and Wayne Wood are old. They, they both might die. You know, 
Hunter will be murdered by his brothers, probably by the the brother who killed his father. I can I can buy I can buy Belmore and I I'll befriend Templeton. I'm not worried about Royce. You know, I mean, Littlefinger knows the veil. He knows how these lords operate. And because he's been master of coin for so long, he also kind of knows who who's in debt and who isn't. And most of these lords are in debt. Yeah. Um I bringing up the, the last duel again. How many of so many of these lords back then were just chronically in debt, crippling debt. And if someone knew how to, you know, balance a checkbook, they could get whatever they wanted. <laughs> you know, because they weren't trained how to do that. They were trained to kill people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I guess it's um, Littlefinger is like a, a mayor who comes into the small town, gets elected, and the city council thinks they th- think they have him on some corruption charge. And he just, you know, slides out of the way, you know. I go, well, you know, but look at all this stuff that's coming in next year. Look at all these grants I've gotten from the federal government. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You didn't Meanwhile. even vote for that. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, he's you buying think up voting Wood debt. Yeah. Voting. Uh, yeah, I I think it's you're right about how he knows he knows these lords, right? And Mayor Littlefinger. I think one of the one of the skills that maybe people don't give Peter enough credit for is just his ability to read and manipulate people's you know people's wants and desires. Yeah, he finds right? what's important to him moving the pieces yeah but he he can read people he knows which ones to buy and which ones to befriend that's a that's not something everyone can just do right but he can he can tell he's worked he's worked the angle so that he knows that he needs to buy Belmore and befriend templeton yeah littlefinger is one of the few minor lords we really get a look at and by minor lord i mean a minor lord a lord and all just just by the name and i'm sure when you know his father was able to send him to River River Run. His father told him, "You need to, you know, learn everything you can about these people. You need to build connections. You need to find out what you know, what they like, what they don't like. You know, mm. that's why he ingratiated himself with you know the Tully children. And and also he was he was small. He had to learn how to." Figure out, you know, if I say something, is this giant of a giant kid going to beat me up? You know, so he didn't stop him. Well, no, that's that's you know. You learned that lesson. He was also a dreamer, I think. And I, you know, the story said that Catelyn should have, you know, Catelyn should have, you know, gone for him. You know, how dare how dare she make him, you know, choose Brandon when she knew him? But you know. I think that's, you know, the way he grew up. He enters a room and he and he just pays attention to everyone in the room, and it's yeah. like, how can I use this person to help me? How can I, you know, neutralize this person's, you know, and and antagonism toward me, you know? Not to right. not to, not to say I don't like Littlefinger at all. I just think he's a very interesting character. And I For think sure. he, the the distaste that we all have for him with how he treats Sansa, I think it clouds some of our perceptions of him. 
he still needs to get a job though. <laughs> yeah, he still sucks. Yeah, he just, sucks big time. He's got a lot of like really strong qualities. Yeah, he thinks about he just sucks. <laughs> he he does suck hard. The Avalanche when they won the Stanley Cup, they yeah they were a good team, but they sucked. Greatest moment of my childhood. I'm sorry, Matt. Watching that, that, that's Joe Sackick hand Ray Bork that Stanley Cup. One of the most moving moments in Stanley Cup history. Uh, but Littlefinger just thinks about things so differently, too. And the way he comes at situations. I feel like most people would look at the Lord's Declarant and think, I've got to knock off Jan Royce. He's the power guy. He's obviously the informal leader of this. I've got to somehow get rid of him. Littlefinger's like, no, there's seven lords declarant. If I can get this guy, this guy, and this gal, and this one dies and this one dies, Jan will be all alone and I won't have to worry about him. So it's no big deal. He just can think about things completely outside the box or outside mm-hmm. of the norm, and that makes him really effective and yeah, it's most of really- the time. It's really funny because he even says, he even notes that Bronzion is the only one that matters. Mm. Right. And yet still he's an afterthought in the plan. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to neutralize him in a completely different way. And I, I love you that. You can tell that the Lords talked about what Littlefinger was probably going to do before yeah. time yeah. because <laughs> uh, Littlefinger, he says, oh, oh, he's going to be at Runestone. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I see, I see six Lords here, six other Lords here. And then mm-hmm. Lady Wayne was like, She'll, he'll visit all of us into, in, yeah, in yeah. turn. Don't worry. You know, <laughs> and it also it also gives them a false sense of confidence. Like, ha, I knew we knew he would do this and we beat him. I, I even wonder if Peter fed that to Corbray. Yeah. Who told them to watch out for that tactic. Right. So that they'd feel like they were getting a win. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, let like them a, get to this bait them, point. Bait them yeah. a little bit, and then I'll let jump them get on. to here. Yeah, it, that Corbray thing is so interesting, is because it's like, how did Corbray attach himself to the party in the first place? Littlefinger makes it sound like Corbray just decided to come. Yeah. So does Corbray just be like, "Oh, you guys are going up to the Vale. Can I come?" Then Corbray is is the Kramer of the Vale. He just shows. He just. <laughs> he just shows up whenever he wants. He just shows okay. up. He's like there. It's Lynn Corbray. Yay. <laughs> Oh, I guess Lynn is coming with us because we're all too scared of him to tell him not to. So. It's, it's a good question. I mean, you'd, th- you'd think, well, okay, what's his value? Well, he's definitely a warrior. He demands, you know, martial respect. But they already have that role covered with, with Royce. They've already got the numbers advantage. They know that. So it doesn't seem like it's an intimidation thing. I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's more of a, this is a big house in the Vale. Yeah. And they've already got the other half. So we want to show them that, you know, we we have this half. Yeah, maybe and so like, they accept his they right. accept his you know request to join. I just feel like he's just one of those guys that just like shows up on the morning of when they're gonna go up there. Then <laughs> Corbray has entered the chat. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so he looks at his watch. So when are we gonna head up? Ten minutes? Yeah. <laughs> Got time to get some coffee? All right. And they're like standing there with their arms. Oh. I guess he's coming with us. I guess, but he's too volatile to send away. Like, yeah, I guess he can come. I I groaned at um, Corbray's line. He's like, my lady has a thirst. Whenever she comes out out to dance, she likes to drop a red. Oh my god, you idiot! That's that's dark star tier. 
you know, like yeah, I'm of the night. It is. You know, yeah. my lady, like my lady has a thirst. Oh, shut up. Thirst. I love, I love the lead up to that whole thing. You, you can, you can just see it play out almost like a movie. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Bronze Yone. Really bad is, movie. Well, the, well, that part would, would be the bad movie, but the part leading up to that before Lynn jumps in, mm-hmm. it's just this building tone of like, no one's going to budge. No one's going to budge. And then Bronze Yone drops the hammer of like, we will have Robert. Yeah. And they're just sitting there. And you, it, it's almost like Lynn like missed his cue, like he took longer than he should have to step in. You know what I mean? Like, like you can almost see people like, rolling his eyes, like tapping his foot, like Lothar Bruin standing in the corner, like motioning to him, like now, now, yeah, like <laughs> clearing his throat. <clears> throat> mm. Look up here! I just, I, I love, I love. You know, I can just see it playing out. I love it. Oh, I would have loved to see that on the show. I love our podcast. Oh. Yeah. Excuse of the worst. I also like how Littlefinger <sighs> talks about Lynn Corbury before the meeting, about like how he earned the sword. You know, like oh yeah, he mm-hmm. he killed you know, um, the Martell who was in the Kingsguard after he had yeah. already been wounded half a dozen times and all that. But don't, but don't mention that to him. You know, he's killed men for less. Mm-hmm. No, I just—it's also a, a bit of a weird thing that he's talking Lynn up so much to Sansa, knowing that Lynn is in his pocket. Like you don't got to scare her away from Lynn. He's not going to do anything. He's in your pocket right now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a little weird. Is that part of her training that he wants her to figure it out, which she does? And... I wondered that same thing, why he didn't bring her into it and just tell her. And he he probably yeah. wanted her to actually react with fear, too. Oh, he, yeah. He probably like doesn't trust her enough. Genuine. Reaction instead of an action. Yeah, she's not far enough in her training to be reliable to, you know, act the right way. Rely on your training. Save you what can. <laughs> hmm. Um... I, of course, uh, you know, we talked about this last week too, Scat, in our I Am Mercury episode, how certain words can evoke certain things for us. And seeing, regarding Corbray, the line, the heart-shaped ruby in the pommel of his sword shone mm. redly as he warmed his hands. Mm-hmm. So instantly I started thinking glamour, but I don't see any textual reason for mm. Corbray to be like this secret it's the Melisandre fifth kettle black guy or something corbray is quite kettle black with a corbray's which one is he quite yeah, or quite quite almost everyone some some yeah. of them are jake and hagar but it's Jacques main or it's mainly quite yeah but anyways that's one of those lines that i hope is nothing but just hearing ruby shown shining redly it just makes you think yeah i've got the 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 meme now in my head of uh the 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 kid reaching out to the butterfly and it says is this and it would be oh, yeah. matt it'd be matt reaching out to dorothy ruby. gale and her red ruby slippers <laughs> is this a glamour <laughs> anything with rubies and fire yeah mm, it's like a moth to a flame for me <clears throat> well what else we got um, 
zooming out from this chapter a little bit, I'm just, you know, anal- seeing what Sansa's learning right now, I started imagining what the Stark kids would look like if they all came back together mm. and like the different strengths that all of them would have and how formidable they would be as a group. You know what I mean? Mm. Like you've got John who's become this stoic leader with maybe a little bit of destiny in his favor, right? Um, but he's gained a lot of experience, not only leading, but gathering people to him and learning how to compromise and do those things that a leader has to do. You've got Sansa here, who's this, who's turning out and learning to be the sly, patient manipulator who can play the long game, fight those unseen battles, excellent at finding out, like you were saying, Scab, the needs and wants of people and kind of infiltrating that and manipulating that. And, and playing being, the host. Playing the host and, and kind of being disarming a little bit, like Littlefinger, yeah, someone right. that people might not take too seriously. You've got Arya, of course, the violent, little volatile, sneaky, like Sansa, but in a more physical way, right? Uh, she can go and do the dirty work. Bran, of course, Greensight. He's like the mage, the wisdom guy of the group. And then Rickon, who... <laughs> You know, spending the time where he's spending maybe on Skagos. I imagine him kind of being like the berserker of, of the Stark kids. Yeah. But My love for you is ticking clock. Berserker. I seriously, I, I wrote out like these kind of longer sentences in my notes about all of them. And then under Rick and I just put berserker. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the potential of them all coming back together and, you know, like Captain Planet with our powers combined type thing. Which one gets the heart power? Heart! 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 So lame. So lame. <laughs> but, yeah. I think that's a, there's some cool possibilities and there. What, and especially what Rob will bring to the table. Oh. Oh. Too soon? Oh, did I leave him off the list? Whoops. Well, it's kind of hard to gather together when you don't have a head. So. Yes. Whoops. No. He lost his head. So. Rob will be a lovely picture on the wall. Speaking of tinfoil theories, back in the day I read a theory that uh, somehow Rob's head was on Robert Strong's body. And that that might be like a... Like someone's going to have to... A Stark kid's going to have to kill Rob again or something. I was like... Oh, that's a, you're, that's you're, a PJ theory if I've ever heard one. <laughs> you know, now, I've, never, I've never watched... Matt, it's not like you to throw that shade. <laughs> It must be getting late. I've never watched Matt's any of those videos. Get him his warm milk and put him to bed. Where's my sweet sleep? <laughs> milk of the poppy. Calm me oh, down. <laughs> Throw some water on me. Davos after dark for real. Is that, is that guy still around? I don't even know anymore. I don't. He's I, not. I don't think I he's doing like Game he's of uh, Game of Thrones videos anymore. Because somehow yeah. he popped up on my. Uh, videos you might like on youtube i was oh, like yeah? why i don't even watch anything <laughs> re- regarding he was kind of like canceled by the fandom basically right kind of but he still had a pretty big following i imagine he does yeah i feel like he was canceled by the book fandom but I feel like yeah the, that's something i've noticed the fandom is big enough that certain groups of the fandom can cancel somebody but another side of the fandom would just glom on to right. that person so yeah that's true that's true 
Um, I really don't have much more on this. What else do you guys have? Uh, nothing super important. No, uh, no they, band names or anything like that. They mentioned they mentioned that Peter should go to Heron Hall. They they're in need of a lord, and it's like, yeah, that's true. But they're not in need of a lord like Baelish. Like no. they they need they need a sheriff, right? Like they need somebody to go in and yeah, like, ass and like wrestle that region into control. They need Lynn Corbray. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. True. Like Lynn Corbray would maybe that's he would be a very good regent of Heron Hall. It's, it's it's exactly the kind of strategic position that that's hilarious. Baelish genius. does not want. Yeah, I that's completely opposite of his field of battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's nowhere that's near where he wants to be. Pretty much all I got. Unless you guys want to go into golden poison killing. Not I really. think it speaks for itself. <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you, no. yep. <laughs> he's a creep. Yep, yep. He, he thinks his sword is a woman who who's thirsty. You know that that's all you need to know. He just wants to be special, so very special. Him and him and uh, so Dark Star can have a have a little club, you know, like the, 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 the unappreciated, club. you know, family members club with you know where they just come up with creepy like isms and stuff. Yeah, I'm of the night. Oh God, I one liners. I, I never get over creepy that. Creepy one liners. <laughs> Reading that just like. Ugh. Really? Well, all right then. Shall we? Uh, shall we sign off? I think we should, Gene. This has been an absolute dream. It really has. It's dream, fun Gene. This has been so fun. <laughs> Good. I'm I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, it was nice. Good. It was nice. Yeah. It was nice. A nice. A nice time. Nice. That's all we're aiming for. It a was nice a nice time. time. Some nice young nice men. evening spent together. We had ourselves an evening. An evening with men. Don't make make it weird, Matt. I'm trying to remember that thing from The Office where he's talking about a baby shower that guys go to. It's a shower for men. A shower for men. It's a bunch of guys in a shower. Locker room. Oof. Is that Mike? Is that Mike? Uh Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's sign off. All right, Gene, you got to sign off for us? Um, Yeah. Um. Put up your steel, sir. Are you a Corbray or a Frey? Love it. Well done. Uh, Scad, this is... this Guys, this means there's nothing underlying about this. I'm not like trying to suggest anything at all. But this is my favorite meatloaf lyric. And I think it's, it's well known. It's simple. But it's pretty profound. So, in honor of meatloaf, yes, I'm doing it. Uh, this is Matt signing off saying, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. But I do love you, both of you. Don't be sad, because two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) Uh, Mine is also a meatloaf lyric. Uh, Heaven can wait, and all the gods come down here just to sing for me. And the melody's going to make me fly, without pain, without fear. And, uh, He's no longer waiting for heaven if it's up there. And I hope he went there without pain and without fear. Thanks, Amen. Me. Amen. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, and good night, everybody.
Got my dick crab shirt on. I see that. Yeah. You know, they have pills for that. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Matt likes to let his symbiotes live. <laughs> I just let them do their thing, man. <laughs> just live and let live, baby. Drive yeah. around down there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, it's, it's a, uh, what's it called? The soup. Almost like a thick soup. Ew. A primordial soup down there. That's what it is. That's what I'm trying to think of. <laughs> You're invoking Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to watch Ninja Turtles. It was too violent. Really? I could watch The Godfather because that was historical. But um, <laughs> I couldn't watch a Ninja Turtles. We just got our first outtake. <laughs> I couldn't watch G.I. Joe because it's, it's far too violent. But you know. But you could watch The Godfather. I could watch The Godfather. I could watch The Poseidon Adventure. Um, That's a good one. So, yeah. It just needed to be historical. Historical, aka. Yeah, I mean, my I'm not sure the Godfather's the historical at all. Really, right? My mom just I mean, like loved mo- mo- mobster movies, so okay. You know. That was her excuse. Yeah, it takes place in a fictional past. Yeah, I, there was a <laughs> World War Two. There were Marines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh... I remember if only my... they had named that war the Joes were fighting in World War Two. You could have watched. You could have watched it. <laughs> hey, you could have said, "Mom, there are sewers underneath New York." <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. Well, I wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs because of the time travel. I, I might have talked about this on the cast before. It was. I don't think one. you have. Our pastor, when I was young, still living in Colorado said something about the, the Smurfs and the time-traveling crystals. This was, Not all Smurfs episodes have the time-traveling crystals. But like later episodes, I think that was like the whole thing. It's like they could travel via these magical crystals, and I don't know, it violated some sort of Christian... We weren't allowed to watch Smurfs because there was magic. Because there was Gargamel or Caramella, whatever wow. the wizard's name was. Gargamel, and, you got and, it uh, the first time, but Caramel would be funny. Caramel. <laughs> and uh, That's in the spinoff. The the, th- that's the Turkish Smurfs. That's the, <laughs> um, so we weren't able to watch that. Just all the random things we weren't allowed to watch. And you look wow. back at it, it's like, yeah. you look at some of the stuff today, it's like, there's like there was a big controversy because my, my sister was watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Ooh, that's magic. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. like, I... Uh, Trish was watching watching the reboot. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, there's nothing wrong with the with the one in the '90s. This is like, "Oh, that's fun, happy magic." This one, it's Sabrina's, you know, daughter of Lucifer. Like, mm. yeah. it's a little uncomfy. Quick pitch: My sister writes that comic too. It's really good. Oh my gosh, is she? I don't think I heard that one. That's oh, cool, it's man. good. It's good. There's, uh, I don't know. We couldn't watch really. The Simpsons. Yeah. My mom didn't like animation, so that that was another thing. That was a thing. Yeah. The only cartoon she ever liked was Mighty Mouse, and when they took that off, she uh Oh yeah. It was like scarring. She's like You're dead like, to be cartoons. never like You're no dead to be cartoons. That's yeah. almost what her voice sounds like, so <laughs> <laughs> smoking a pack yeah. a day for uh forty years can really do, You're dead do to wonders. Be. <laughs> um, but yet my mom let me buy Happy Gilmore on VHS 
when I was probably 12 years old. She really wanted you to get into golf. And, uh, but, but friggin' Simpsons? No way. <laughs> I mean, besides the language, Happy Gilmore's one of the cleaner Adam Sandler movies, really. That's true, yeah. In terms of, like, innuendo and stuff like yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But. I mean, there's the dream world where the the girl is walking around in lingerie. Oh, I remember that. In lingerie. And then, but that's. That. But that's still pretty tame. Pressed pause on that scene a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this VHS is just worn out in this one section. What's going on? It gets really bad right I here. don't know. They just don't make things the way they used to. Anyways. Uh-huh. So. Are you guys ready to start? You got any questions before we jump in? Gene? Yeah. No, I've been trying to come up with a decent name, and I just can't name for the episode and i just can't think of anything so i'm as always i'm totally open to to another name if there are better suggestions um i looked for some and i didn't find any that i loved then we'll go with mine it's not terrible no it is good never never is it never is um maybe we should call it time traveling crystals time traveling crystals and the, historical, and the historical accuracy of the Godfather. <laughs> this is real life. This is serious business. This is the longest episode of title we've ever had. I can't even fit it into a tweet. <laughs> and that's the end of this chapter. This chapter section. Or section. Section, sorry. Yeah. Usually we're doing chapters. Well, for over a year we've been doing sections. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's been a pandemic and a, and a long wait. I can't. It's been almost two years since we had that Patreon um, a Zoom meeting. Um. Oh my gosh, that's been almost two years. Actually, over two years because I I was no I was in New York way. when that happened. Yeah, it's crazy. And we're clear. All right.